the blast from our past network. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, The Gate, starring Stephen Dorff, Krista Denton, and Louis Tripp. In February of 1987, Corey Stevenson was celebrating his birthday. Zach Schaefer, his best friend, came over to his house. No one else was there. There was a giant hole in their backyard. They went into the hole and found a geode. The following is the transcript of what happened that day. It is titled, The Gate. Welcome, everybody, (laughs) to Podcasting After Dark. It is me, Sweet Sexy Z, with my beautiful, bodacious co-host, Little Cory Gory, who celebrated his birthday in the month of February. (laughs) Happy birthday, and welcome to The Gate. Thanks, buddy. I am so excited to talk about this movie. Uh, You have been teasing this uh, probably since the inception of this show, and it's finally here. And man, what an awesome time it was. I've been wanting to bring this since we first started recording this little shit. <laughs> I almost said it's a little shitty show. <laughs> this, 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 little, this little ditty of a show. And uh, oh my gosh, I'm so glad we're doing it now. It was going to be my Halloween pick like two years ago. Uh, then it was going to be my kid-friendly pick. And then it was going to be my pick-your-nose pick. And then this year, Corey's like, uh, you know, it's my birthday month, something fun. And I'm like, okay, it's got to be the gate. It's got to be the gate. We got to do the gate. And I'm so glad we're doing the gate because, spoiler, I love this movie. Spoiler part two, it still holds up today. Spoiler part three, it brought back all the nostalgic feels when I first, when I watched it, uh, what, two, three times this, this past week. Yeah, um, so my experience with it is nothing. Like, I didn't watch it as a kid, and I look back on that because this came out in 87, and I think I was nine years old, um, which would have been perfect for me to watch. But by that point, sadly, I mean, and Zach, you know how this goes, man. We grew up fast in the 80s. I think by nine or ten years old when this hit, you know, VHS, I was probably turned off by the PG-13 rating. I was probably like, oh, I need this to be R because I want to see two things, three things technically, gore and titties. You know, two of the three things being titties. Um, And (laughs) this doesn't have much of the latter, but neither much of the, the former either. But as someone who's watching it for the very first time at the age of now, 46 because i actually watched it on my birthday this was my birthday movie with myra um and in the year 2024 this movie is still a smash dude it like you just said it holds up so well and we're going to talk about the effects and a lot of it has to do with the effects um but it holds up great and dude it's a it's a kid's horror movie in all the best ways possible. Like, like it, it can be shown to a kid. 
It features kids, like kids actually doing kid things, acting like kids. Like I was just as impressed with the 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 kid aspect of the film, like how well this movie sort of portrays kids and how like realistically it portrays kids. I was just as impressed with that aspect of it as I was the creature design and, and the effects and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there are PG horror films, PG-13 horror films that are not kid-centered, and we've covered a lot of those. The Car, for one, yeah. uh, One Dark Night, and for, for another. Um, but this one is a kid's horror film. Like, it is, kids can watch it, adults can watch it. I saw it when I was 11 with my mom in the theater. I knew uh, you saw it in the theater. Like, I knew it. I was thinking in my head, like, I was like, I wonder when Zach saw this. And, yeah, because I was nine, so you were 11. That's perfect. That is the perfect age. So your mom took you to see it. My mom took me to see it. I, I, I'm i leaning pretty close to saying that 1987 was my favorite year for, for movies in the 80s. Uh, my personal favorite year because so many great movies came out in 1987 this being one of them and yeah my mom took me to see it uh, I loved it so much she ended up getting me a geode <laughs> <laughs> so I'd have a geode on my you know bookshelf and that was maybe what sparked my fascination with crystals and and uh, you know gems and stuff like that Um you know, I it's so funny because she like she embraced everything that I was into. If 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 I was into, uh, you know, recreating Predator, she'd take me to the park to do that. If I was into uh, the gate with geode, she'd take me to a crystal shop and get me a geode. So I, I do remember seeing this film uh, at least once in the theater. And then when it came out on video, watching it over and over and over again. And then I think it popped up on HBO or Cinemax and. I probably watched the hell out of it then, too. Certain scenes just stand out to me. Certain scenes that I cannot wait to talk about because they are laugh-out-loud hilarious, whether that was intended or not. Probably not, but uh, the result is, in my opinion, um, that's what makes this film stand a longer test of time is the moments that you laugh your ass off because they're so hilarious. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we both have the Vestron Blu-ray. Um, I watched multiple uh, of you know the featurettes on on the, the special effects and stuff like that. They talk to the director. Um, they talk to Randy Cook, who's who does the visual effects. And we'll talk about you know both of them more extensively. But you know going into this, they both wanted to make this you know a, a, a horror comedy for kids. Like I think what we see on screen is everything that they wanted it to be. I think they wanted it to be kid friendly. I think they wanted it to you know, have kid moments in it, you know, and and also have comedy with it because, as, as both of them said, um, the director and uh, uh, Randy Cook, the spe special effects guy, like, horror works well when you combine it with comedy. And if you're going to make a kid's horror movie, you know, you got to add a little comedy to it. But this also has – like, I don't think that this movie talks down to kids at all. Like, I don't – it doesn't feel like a kid's movie, and that is the perfect kind of kid's movie. Yeah, uh, you know, Shane Black was so good with capturing kids in Monster Squad. I think the equal, the same can be said for capturing childlike spirit in this movie, too. Yeah. With the writer. Um, it, it reminded me of, like, one of my good friends back in the day, this kid, Larry Wilson, who looks an awful lot like Terry, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, so I think that's probably what added to me thinking 
he was I'm like, is this Terry? Um, it was. It's not. But uh, but yeah, I think it really captures the essence of like child being a child in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. And being left alone. It's pretty authentic. It feels pretty authentic to me. Yeah. Like, oh, parents are going to go away for the weekend. Leave the kids at home. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, both of us grew up in the 80s. If anything, I was probably, in this movie, closer to Stephen Dorff's age, and you were probably closer to Terry's age, because I think he's supposed to be, like, a couple years older, you know, a little bit older. Um, and, yeah, I, I, man, yeah. This movie gave me nostalgic feels, even though I've never seen the movie. It gave me nostalgic feels for just the, my childhood, essentially. Yeah, and it's it's really, and it really feels like an independent low budget movie but with what they do i don't mean that low budget in a negative way i mean it low budget in just minimalist way yeah but what they do with the third act whoo baby but we're gonna get to that in just a moment yeah dude i have a lot of notes like all basically saying like oh my god i can't believe they're actually going here like you know in that third act i can't believe how big that third act actually gets but yeah this is technically a low budget film it was filmed in canada um i knew that right when i saw that first scene when he's driving through the neighborhood i was like well that's not los angeles for sure so it's probably ontario and yeah it is (laughs) yeah shout out to all our canadian friends you know who you are in canadian podcasts um yeah, it part of me was like, oh, this looks like the subdivision that I lived in with my dad back in the day, but it's not. That'd be Detroit area? Yeah, like outside of Detroit, Northville. Well, it was Novi where they lived back in the day. Okay. So where, you know, you could you could ride your bike for miles and there was nothing around but just houses. Boring. <laughs> kind of like this. I was like, it makes sense that no one's around because it's a brand new subdivision. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, when over the edge comes out on Blu-ray and we cover that, we break that movie down. We'll talk about how subdivisions destroyed America or destroyed like certain, you know, destroyed the youth of America because they had nowhere, nowhere else to go. And they just would mess around and set shit on fire and burns, you know, uh, break stuff and, you know, getting him trouble or you know raise the dead like in return of the living dead part two because i'd say this movie even though that's rated r and we know it's mostly rated r for the one zombie that gets like kind of cut in half and is walking around with his torso and everything that's what brought it into the sort of the rated r aspect of it but i think that the gate and return of the living dead part two are just great examples of kid horror movies yeah i agree i feel like that would be a great double feature yeah you know so and then speaking of uh, part twos, this movie had a part two, which I have never seen. Oh, OK. I was going to ask you, how was it? But that's surprising. I think I never saw it because when it came out, I was like over it at that point. I, I, I don't know. It came out. That movie came out in 1990. Um, oh, a few years yeah, later. I, OK. Yeah. So I was probably more focused on action at the time. Yeah. I think it was a straight to video. So I probably was. Pa- and also Stephen Dorff wasn't in it. So I was like. No, I, I mean, I know Lewis Tripp is, but um, it just didn't wow me like, uh, you know, like like this one did. Yeah, I'm not coming back to it if, if Glenn and Al are not in it. 
No, they're not. So what's the point? Um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see until people dump on us. Oh, you haven't seen the gay part two, man. It's so good. <laughs> okay, well, well sure. Well, I'll, I'll... Maybe the Lee sisters will be in it. And <laughs> Add it to the list. Add it to the list. Um, well, let's start with the crew behind the scenes. It's directed by Tibor uh, Takas. Takas? Uh, he also directed the sequel, and he also directed a, a fairly obscure horror film called I, Madman, which I highly recommend. I have that movie on uh, basic DVD, but it's got my boy Clayton Roner in it and Jenny Wright from Near Dark, of course. Uh, it's a really cool horror film. I haven't seen it in forever, so um, I think I should rewatch it and see if it still holds up. Yeah, no, that one... Um... That one I, I've, I've never seen, but I recognize the cover and everything. And, yeah, looking at it now, and especially after The Gate, I really want to see it. Um, looking at his filmography, it looks like he's doing, nowadays, nothing but a bunch of Christmas movies. The movie, the money there, there's good money in it. It's consistent, so God bless him. Hey, man, you, you got to work because before that, he was doing all the doing a lot of the you know, post Anaconda movies, um, giant, you know, uh, uh, giant creature films, but yet done by done for sci-fi channel. Like a lot of those movies, again, the guy's been working, um, and it looks like he's done some episodes of the crow TV show and stuff like that. But, uh, I mean the gate, the gates where it's at gates where it's at. And the writing is where it's at in this as well. Cause I think it's a really solid tight story and that's, it's written by Michael Nankin. Michael Nankin uh, wrote the screenplay for, well, he wrote Midnight Madness. And uh, check out our friend, our good friend Aaron Gilmer's podcast, Manic Movie Monday, where I guested on that episode talking about Midnight Madness. Um, that movie's wild. He also wrote Ruskies, which oh, yeah. Dustin and I <laughs> discussed on $2 Late Fee. So um, I love Ruskies. And, you know, of course, The Gate Part 2 was written by him. And actually, the guy is working to this day. He's written for television movies. Uh, he wrote an episode of American Gothic, which is a highly underrated television series from the 90s. That'll probably show up on TV Obscura for sure. But um, yeah. yeah, really, really great overall body of work. Yeah, dude, that's pretty impressive. And we need to discuss um, two key people in the effects department. Obviously, when we talk about effects people, you, we all know that there's a team under them as well so it's not just them um but like i said i watched you know quite a few of the the, the making of featurettes on the vestron blu-ray and they all talked to randall william cook um I, it's not co-direct like him and, and tibor aren't co-directing it um but from what i understand randy cook was there pretty much you know, from the inception of the film, like post, you know, script, but, you know, from the beginning points of the film um, and sort of they he worked hand in hand with the director throughout most of the film, getting everything set up. Now, some fun facts about him. Um, he came he comes from, you know, uh, Richard Edlund's uh, boss studios. Uh, Richard Edlund used to work for ILM, left ILM, uh, created boss studios and worked on Ghostbusters, made, you know, did all the effects in Ghostbusters. Um, and he worked. Randy Cook worked under Richard Edlund. Um, and if you look now, 
Randy Cook, he's done stuff like um, um, a few of the Puppet Master movies. Obviously, it makes sense. Um, he did he did work on Doctor Mordred, which we absolutely love. But of course, he also did work on all three of the Lord of the Rings films, because guys and gals, and every time I hear people talk about this movie, people talk about how much they love the stop motion critters. The minions in this film are not stop motion. The big monster at the end is stop motion, and there might be a couple little shots here and there that might be have a little stop motion to them, but the minions themselves are all done um, with people in, in costumes and forced perspective. So, I mean, and, and honestly, I almost think that this is more remarkable than doing miniature work, but, like, yeah. for example, when uh, uh, Terry is getting his leg attacked, you know, on by by the minions. That leg is not him. That's that's a giant leg that the these human actors are interacting with. And you're like, "Okay, that makes sense maybe on the close-up shots, but that's also the case for the long shots." So, you have to picture Terry the actor sitting like 40 yards away from the action that was that's going on down there and it's this whole movie it's all forced perspective stuff and which is what they did in Lord of the Rings and if you watch behind the scenes stuff with Lord of the Rings it's like it's not all just CGI they do these these awesome clever forced perspective stuff so like that makes sense to me that this guy Randy Cook would then go on to work on Lord of the Rings because he didn't pioneer any of this but he definitely blew a lot of minds behind the scenes. Like, they were like, how did you do this? And he just told them, they're like, oh, well, that's remarkably easy. And he's, well, but I mean, it's it's not. Like, because you have to start working in scales, and you have to know exactly how far, like, what size something is going to be versus, you know, it's, it's all fucking scales and math, you know? And it's goddamn impressive. Um, the other person that kind of was the other side of things, who kind of did all the ma- the 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 minions makeups and all this kind of stuff, uh, his name is Craig Reardon, um, and he also, of course, has a pretty impressive um, you know film uh, filmography as well. He's worked on stuff like Weird Science, Altered States, if you've ever seen that movie, um, and then even to today, like newer stuff, Little Nicky, The Grinch. Um, 13 ghosts, we were soldiers, all kinds of stuff. So this guy's been, been working all the way to alien nation, the TV show. So he's also another big name behind the scenes. That's amazing. I mean, this film does have a lot of cool stuff behind it for sure. And, um, I think that's definitely, a uh, a debatable part that can be squashed now. Cause people will be like, Oh, I love the stuff. And just, nope, stop. Just nope. Stop. But I love when it stop. And I'll probably bring it up again later. <laughs> but the first time that Al uh, is kind of chased by the minions from the um, outside, um, when yeah. she runs up the stairs and they run up the stairs sort of next to and, and that's a composite shot that's done in camera. So they actually could see the results in the dailies. Amazing. And that's another Amazing. that's another forced perspective shot of her running up the stairs with little people or not they're actually normal size, but in the minions costumes, running up the stairs next to her, but they're, you know, fucking forty yards apart. Because it, Amazing. And I, you try to you watch it knowing that, I still can't even see it. I still can't yeah. see the break. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild, dude. It's wild on um, me, baby. It is wild, honey. You know, you know what else is wild is uh, one of the. This movie has two composers. One of them being J. Peter Robinson. Uh, I'm going to run down some of the films that he's composed scores for. 
He did a episode of The Insiders, which we covered on TV Obscura. Love that show with Stoney Jackson. Yep. He was the composer for The Wraith. Covered that on Crossover with $2 Late Fee. Yep. He, of course, did The Gate. He did the. He was the composer for The Believers. He was the composer for Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Oh, perfect. He was the composer for Cocktail. <laughs> Wait, he, is, is Cocktail the... Is Cocktail... It's in the way that you use it. Now that's color of money. Damn uh, it. I literally always get them confused. Always. Well, you're not anymore because Cocktail is... Jamaica. Take it to me, there you go. Uh, he was also the composer for Blind Fury, the Rucker Hauer film. He was the composer for The Wizard, which I just watched the other day. And to save everybody two hours of time, don't watch it. Uh, <laughs> he was the composer of Cadillac Man, a little-known film with uh, Robin Williams, which is where he's like an adulteress, and all, to, all the women that he's had an affairs with show up at his place. And Tim Robbins is like a... You know, it's like a bomb. He has a bomb, or he's holding him hostage, or some shit like that. Anyways, I've seen that movie. Of all the movies that I haven't seen, I've actually seen Cadillac Man. And, and you're like, why did I watch Cadillac? <laughs> why Man? did I watch Cadillac Man? Um, he composed 16 episodes of The Wonder Years. He composed Wayne's World. He composed five episodes of Erie, Indiana. Uh, he composed Ingenium. I'm sorry, Encino Man. Um, <laughs> he also and, he com- like, and he also composed New Nightmare. New Nightmare and Highlander, The Final Dimension, and Rub. I mean, a lot of uh, Jackie Chan movies as well. So, I, I mean, with The Wraith alone is great. I, 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 for me, I'm like, just, you know, go with that. Um, and then Michael Honing is the other composer, uh, and he was the composer for... A movie that we covered on Pad. Well, he worked on The Wraith as well, which is pretty cool. Uh, actually, it's very cool. I would love maybe to ha- have the two of those guys and sit down and talk about their work together. Five episodes of Max Headroom, um, which is awesome. Love the Blob, show. of course, the 1988 Blob that we covered on our show. Yep. I Madman, Last of the Finest, which is a really cool Brian Dennehy, Bill Paxton, Jeff Fahey film. Um, if you've never seen that, it's like a cool crime thriller cop movie with a huge cast joe pantaliano is also in it um it's just it's that's a good one yeah class oh. in 1999 oh, which is one that i loved as a kid you love that we're gonna have to cover that eventually yeah. because we covered class in 1984 um anyways above suspicion which was the last movie that i believe uh christopher reeve did before he had his accident okay so uh yeah michael honig um another talented dude and it's cool that they work together yeah with, I, you know what's sad yeah. I kind of don't remember the music from the from this film. Now, that being said, I'm not as cued in on it as you are. You have much more of a musical ear than I do. And also, too, I don't remember ever being offended by the music, you know, so it did its job. But I don't really remember much standing out for me. I will say the third act music reminds me a little bit of Phantasm 2 score, which I love that like that kind of sense of dread as the the minions are, you know, coming up from the ground and so for me it gets a it gets a check uh like as in i liked it (laughs) (laughs) let's go to the cast actually i'm only going to go over the uh the like the 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 main three characters and then the two uh, lee sisters 
Uh, Stephen Dorff, of course, plays Glenn. He's the lead. Yet you know who Stephen Dorff is. If you don't, uh, where, what rock do you live under? Uh, I'm only going to call out Blade. I really love him in Blade and Judgment Night, which we talked about on um, yeah. what podcast were we on? Uh, we, we were t- about? Uh, dude, talk, talking back. We talked about Judgment Night on Talking Back. Um, yeah, he's that movie's great. Love that movie. And yeah, you know, it's so funny because Stephen Dorff is one of those people where you're like, oh yeah, Stephen Dorff. Oh yeah, yeah, him. Yeah, oh, everybody knows him. Yeah, of course. I've not really seen that movie that many movies with him in it um obviously blade and even then i was like oh yeah i know steven dorf is but like I'm, i look through his like his his cat you know his filmography and it's so weird how few movies of his i've actually seen i was obsessed with steven dorf back in the day i think it started maybe with the gate and then continued on with Judgment Night, where I'm like, oh, I'm going to dress like Steven Dorff. I would wear flannels with the thermals underneath because I idealized every actor that I thought I wanted to be like. I thought he looked cool. Um, and then, you know, he, I kind of tapped out after a while. I think he was one of those guys, too, where he, he would get like really big roles, like in Backbeat, which was the story of the Beatles. And then something happened with his career, and he started doing a lot of uh, straight-to-video type stuff and, you know, became the spokesperson for Blue, which is the um, jeweled vaping pens. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, whatever. It's like – but I think he's doing stuff now. He's He's been on TV shows and movies now, and, um, you know – it's all good, man. If Tim Conway was still alive, I would love to see him and Stephen Dorff like on SNL doing Dwarf on Dorf. Dorf on Dorf would be fan- I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. And we do um, have to call out, though, that, uh, you know, he did do a TV movie before this and he did um, an episode of the new Leave it to Beaver TV series, which I remember and can't believe it was on for six years. Um, and he also did an episode of Different Strokes. But this was his first major movie role this was his first major movie role however his first major breakout role i believe was in the mattel commercial for stinkor um and that we showed at los angeles comic-con when we premiered 80s kids unite what's 80s kids unite you ask it's our new monthly show where we do a crossover with two dollar late fee TV Obscura, and Territory Marks, all the shows that we're a part of, and we talk about 80s nostalgia. We talked about 80s. It it all started back in L.A. Comic-Con where Corey brought up Stinkor, and I showed the Stinkor commercial, and Stephen Dorff is in the Stinkor commercial. That's kind of where the the whole gate thing got brought back up again. Anyways, 80s Kids Unite. It's a brand new show. airs once a month. You can be part of the show by suggesting topics if you sign up to our Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. Sign up today to be a part of the fun. Yeah, and we got, like, by the time this is coming out, the Garbage Pail Kids episode has already dropped, and we've gotten so much positive feedback on that episode. It's been overwhelming. Like, people that I, like, who follow me on Instagram or something, I didn't know they listened to the show. Like, were messaging me, talking about how how awesome that episode was. I was like, oh, cool. I didn't kind of didn't know you listened to the show that's great so it seems to have gotten off to a great start um we've already uh recorded our our second episode um but yeah if if you uh if you're a patreon member if you're listening to this and you're a patreon member then uh at any tier uh you can suggest topics for us to discuss so uh yeah go go do that (laughs) go do that after you listen to us talk about the gate of course uh krista denton plays al 
She's been in a bunch of movies in the 80s. Uh, one in particular that I love is 8 Million Ways to Die. Great title, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, not a huge filmography. She's great in this, though. Yeah, she is. And, you know, I, I kind of got to call it out. Um, you know, she's like 15 in this. And I love when, you know, actors are the same age as the characters they're supposed to be playing. And, and you, you say like, oh, well, of course, like that's silly. No, it's not like guys and gals. We, we watch stuff now like Stranger Things. I mean, they're all in their 30s, you know. It's I feel like it's it's all post that 90210 thing where like that's when they started casting like, you know, 50-year-olds as as high school students. So it's just it's really refreshing to see, you know, Steven Dorf be like, you know, 8 years old, 9 years old, Terry be the correct age, she be the correct age. So it's it's nice, man. It gives it this it gives it an air of authenticity. Yeah, this is a great movie to show people if all they've ever seen is Stranger Things and they like uh, kid-centered content. Yeah. uh, Kid-centered horror and sci-fi. Show them the gate. Lewis Tripp plays Terry. Lewis Tripp was in The Gate Part 2. We reprised his role. Hasn't been in really a whole lot of stuff. Um, There's a short film that is advertised where he looks like he's playing the same character perhaps from the gate um, called it's a short film called sacrifice, oh. but there's no description about it. But how do they spell sacrifice? Oh yeah. Good question. B- because um, the name of the band that he's is listening Sacrifix. to is called sacrifice, but it's spelled with an X something. Yeah. It's spelled different, you know? Yeah. 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 This, this is spelled the traditional way of spelling sacrifice. Okay. okay. All right. So, um, and, and I also want really, when we get to the album by the band Sacrifice or Sacrifix, um, I will be bringing up the soundtrack about the soundtrack for that specifically because uh, okay. there's some cool, fun little tid- tidbits about that. Okay. Last but not least, Kelly Rowan plays Lori Lee and Jennifer Irwin plays Linda Lee, the Lee sisters. They are fantastic and yeah. clearly Canadian. Yeah. Clearly Canadian, <laughs> not just a soft drink, but also description a describing word for the two uh, or describing a describing phrase for the two Canadian Lee sisters. I remember Kelly Rowan being in Candyman um, and getting killed in that one. Candyman farewell to the flesh, which was one of the sequels to Candyman. I think she was the lead in that actually. Um, Oh, okay. Not okay. Which is, I remember. Yeah. She's been in quite a few things. Um, I feel like I've only I had to have seen some of the Candyman sequels at some point, but I really only remember the first movie, which I saw in the theater. I thought the first one was really good. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan uh, overall, though. I mean, it's just not it's not my thing. Um, Jennifer Irwin, like I said, she's been she's been in quite a few things as well. Superstar yeah. and <laughs> Exit Wounds and uh, the Blues Brothers 2000. But she's working to this day. She just did a movie called, uh, or she was in the American Born Chinese television series. So, yeah, yeah, she's working. Yeah, she is. And she was on the, I think she was on the Goldbergs for quite a bit, too. Um, And on that Muppet show. So, yeah, man, good, good for her. She's still rocking and rolling. And I don't, I don't know which one of them is the one that screams and passes out at that, at, during that one scene. But yeah, the Lee sisters are great. They, again, they also felt like kids, you know, and they felt like their reactions were, Nothing ever feels like tongue in cheek, like beat you over the head with the humor. It just feels like silly kid humor that they people kids would actually do. 
Right. Uh, I mean, this is a, a well-written film and well-acted by the kids that star in it. And they're authentic kids for once, which is refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, this movie freaking rocks, and I am excited to get into it with you. So let's crack open a geode and see what's inside <laughs> the gate. There is a passageway to the most evil place you can imagine. A gate behind which the demons wait to take back what was once theirs. And now, someone has opened the gate. This is weird tearing sound. There is the decomposed corpse of her dead father. Oh, no. He's tearing out air by the hands. I'm calling the police. You got demons. Movie opens with the new century title. Um, it's it's very basic, but then there's a zoom up for the name, like the gate. There's some really cool, fun shots, by the way, in this movie, um, cinematography wise and editing wise. I maybe we should call that out too, really quick, while we're at it before we jump into this, because um, there are some like like kind of what do you call those swish cuts or uh... I, yeah, there were some transitions. That were uh, definitely interesting, and uh, yeah, good call. Rit Wallace is the editor. Uh, he's no longer with us. He died at the age of 33 in 1991. But look what he did. He was the editor for My Bloody Valentine, the original. He was the editor for another horror film called Nowhere... Well, it's a thriller. Nowhere to Hide um, with Amy Madigan, if you haven't seen... And Michael Ironside. That, that's a that's a good movie. Uh, I haven't seen that in forever. Okay. Um, anyways... Yeah, he's he's worked on some pretty decent movies. Um, Iron Eagle 2. <laughs> oh, Murder in Space. Anyways, yeah, Rit, I just want to call his name out really quickly as he's the editor of this film. And then the cinematographer is Thomas Vamos. And Thomas Vamos, uh, well, he did a lot of foreign films, uh, Spanish films. And, of course, but one he did work on that is an American film. Well, not American. It's Canadian. The Peanut Butter Solution. Ah, there you go. I know that that's a cult movie right there. And it, uh, just fun fact, folks. Um, well, actually, a little bit of advice, folks. Don't stick your privates in a jar of peanut butter. Do you know this think, from personal experience? I think they do that in the movie or something. There's something to do with peanut butter and junk. I've never oh, seen no, it. Oh, no, no. It's like it. the, it's the pubic hair. Like it causes like the kind of 
it's his uh, his pubes grow super long. That's what it is. Good. So it has Lord. nothing to do with peanut butter and the junk. Anyways, yeah, I have that Blu-ray. It's not a kid. It's a kids movie, quote unquote, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll cover that on our show down the road. Um, it was considered one of Dustin's most traumatic movies when he did a watch list way back when. I remember that. I remember dark. listening yeah. to that one. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, back to the gate. Uh, quick title sequence. And the movie opens on a subdivision as a kid's riding his bike down the road. It's actually Glenn riding his bike down the street. He's wearing a cool space camp shirt. You remember when space camps were cool? And well, yeah. not a space camp jacket, but it's like a it's like a space you know um, space jacket. Yeah, it's almost almost like a sort of a Letterman style jacket esque. But he's got a bunch yeah. of patches on it and everything. And uh, yeah, it's cool, man. I remember that shit from back in the day. Yeah. He hops off his bike as he gets to the house. He drops his drops his bike on the ground. Looks very nervous, though, and worried as he walks up to the front of the house. Walks in the house calling for his mom and, and his dad and his sister. House looks empty. Like, literally empty. As he's walking upstairs, he hears giggling. He knocks on his sister's door. He opens it, walks in. He finds a rocket on the desk, which he calls the Thunderbolt. This is very important, by the way, because it's going to come back later on in the movie. Yeah. Suddenly, he hears music playing. He follows it down into the basement of the house. He sees a music video playing on a TV. It's like a creepy demon music video uh, where the character of the video is pulling like eyeballs out of his face yeah. and he puts them in a bowl. It's very weird. Up to the, he goes up to the kitchen and then the kitchen table is filled with food like his parents just had a meal. Suddenly, he goes to the back door slash backyard walks out there and sees a tree with a tree house in it. There's a voice calling, Papa, Papa, in the tree house. Papa, can you hear me? Ah. It's now dark at night. Glenn climbs a tree, cl- climbs up into the tree house. When he gets inside, he picks up a little baby doll, and the baby doll says, Papa. Suddenly, lightning strikes the tree, and the tree house and the tree come c- crashing down to the ground. Cut to the sound of a loud chainsaw. And Glenn tossing and turning in his bed, having a nightmare. It's now morning. He wakes up. His dog, Angus, is whimpering next to him by his bed. He goes to the window of his second bedroom and looks out and sees the tree in the... He sees the tree with the treehouse being cut down in his backyard. It's a massive tree, by the way. Yeah. He walks outside with his dog, watching the workers cut the tree down. He walks over to the treehouse debris, looking around and sees... The front loader pulling the trunk of the tree out of the ground, exposing its roots. He finds a little geode on the ground that fell from the tree. Fascinated, he looks at the hole where the tree came out, and it looks like there's smoke coming out of the hole. And he looks back at a small geode. So, I love this movie. I think it's damn near perfect, pacing-wise and everything. It's it's an 85 minutes, a cool 85 minutes. Woo! That's why another reason why I chose it. But what was the point of the 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 nightmare at the beginning like and that, the baby doll and the baby doll and that and that baby doll is going to come back later but we kind of don't know the importance of it you know and and so i look at it i'm like uh i i kind of get a feeling like it's a little bit of padding because it's like three minute opening sequence and it really just culminates with him having this nightmare of the tree falling and it's being torn out at the same time now that kind of reminds me of John dies at the end where he's taught that one guy's talking about like, so, you know, how in your dreams, you know, you, you have a bomb, a countdown of a bomb or something, and it goes off right when the Thunderbolt, 
you know, hits outside from a thunderstorm. Um, and, and, you know, he, and the guy's like, so how did you know, how did your mind know to build up a scenario for the bomb to go off when the, the lightning hits, you know, when the lightning strikes, like, how did that happen? And I always love that. I, I think that's a full, like a fun mind thing to think about, but I get that vibe here. Like it's almost, it's almost a little bit, um, premonition a little bit. And maybe that's because of, they talk about later how how the the demons can sort of affect things, but they can't you know actually come into our world yet because things haven't happened. So I'm wondering if this nightmare is them like sort of probing a little bit, you know, sending out the negative thoughts or something, you know. Yeah, that's a good theory. Or that's is it just theory. padding? I think it's. I think there was probably more scenes that they just cut that would have uh, explained that scenario more. Okay. You know, like him sitting at the kitchen table telling his dad, I wish you hadn't cut the tree down and I had it since I was a little kid, blah, 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 something like that. Or And that's you know. what I was kind of waiting for in the movie, like him having some kind of connection to that tree house. But, but they I, don't. But uh, yeah, and again, at, at a smooth 85 minutes, it kind of just boom, boom, boom. It moves really quickly. So, um, but right. I, I again, I have very, I, I don't even know of any other gripes that I have with this film. Other than this, I was just kind of like, oh, that's kind of a, a little bit of a lackluster way to start the movie, I thought. No, I, I agree. I agree. It's a little weak. Um, you know, I don't think this movie's perfect, but 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 I do think scenes like that get a pass for me because it doesn't take away from the overall experience. No, no. And I would also rather front load any kind of weakness and then have the, the, the finale, you know, spectacular like it is because Same. you walk away with the, the finale, the taste in your mouth, you know. Oh, the taste in your mouth is going to be so good. It's going to be like um, pineapples and coconuts. <clears throat> Cut the later than I. I don't even know. I just. I just, I'm, just I'm drinking a. I'm drinking a mushroom uh, kombucha that is cream cream soda flavored. That's what I'm talking about. My what are you God. talking about? You're gross. Uh, c- Cut to the next day, and Glenn is with his buddy Terry, and he's asking Terry about what he found yesterday. Terry calls it a thunder egg, a geode. Never heard it called a thunder egg before. I like that. That's cool. Me too. I, I've heard of thunder shits. <laughs> I've heard of thunder birds. Maybe it's yes. think it's like a thunder bird egg, but that no, he just calls sense. it a thunder egg. Okay. I like that thunder egg. They're in the backyard, and Glenn is digging in the ground while Terry is rolling up the new lawn that's been laid down over the hole where the tree was. By the way, the new lawn is dead. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And by the way, their backyard is freaking huge. I don't know what that dad does, but I mean, it's almost like a fucking football field is how big their backyard is. If he doesn't put a pool in that backyard, he's an asshole. Yeah, there's like and there's like no trees back there. There's like nothing back there. It's like you've got so much goddamn space. Do something. Something. Glenn questions what they're doing and he says, I don't think we should be doing this. And Terry can be a dick goes, hey, chill out. They'll never know. Glenn says, my dad will have a seizure. And Terry says, it's your own fault. You should have called me before they filled it in. You know, I got to say, Terry can be a dick sometimes, although I do love the fact that they get a pass. They, well, they, they give a reason for it and you'll get yes. to that. But I don't ever find him to be annoying. Like we all know you watch kids movie, you know, movie with kids and they're annoying. I never find him or Steven Dorf to be annoying. I, I totally agree with you, and I also think uh, 
kids are dicks to each other. Yeah. They're just kind of jerks. Yeah. That, that's just the way it is some, sometimes. And this is the case. And when you find out a big plot point with Terry, it kinda, he gets a pass yeah. across the board. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So Terry's saying, there's got to be more down here in regards to the geode. And Glenn says, how much can we get for a big one? Terry goes, 100 bucks. Terry picks up the shovel and starts digging in the hole in the ground. And that's $100, 1986 money, which is probably about uh, 250 now, actually. Wow, nice. Yeah. As he's digging, he punches the shovel through the ground and more smoke comes out of the hole. Glenn comments that it smells like someone died in there. They look down in the hole and it's deep. Very deep. Deeper, I mean, deeper. he's digging tunnels. <laughs> he's like Charles Bronson in The Great Escape. He's digging tunnels. <laughs> nice uh, Re- Reservoir Dogs reference. You, <laughs> Terry goes to give Glenn the shovel, but Glenn gets a big old splinter in his hand. Oh, That thing's gnarly. Oh, yes. They hear some weird squawking sounds coming from the hole. Glenn asks what it is. Terry pulls out a giant geode from the ground. It is like... It's larger than it's double the size of a basketball. And I do have to call out because I didn't notice it the first time, but I noticed it the second time. He flicks his uh, his bloody splinter into the hole, which is the quote unquote blood sacrifice later. But that's when they the noise when they're the little minions kind of. Uh, but it's because he, he flicks it in there. I kind of wish they little you know did another shot of it you know actually going in the hole. But it, it's what he's doing. He kind of flicks it in there. Yeah, that makes sense. Totally makes sense. And that's great that they did that. Terry pays no attention to the sound. He just says, we're rich. Al comes out to the backyard with a box of stuff to throw in the trash. It's a bunch of rockets. Glenn gets upset and says, hey, you promised I could have those. And Al says, that was three months ago. They've been sitting in my room. Glenn says, but Al. And Al says, quick, call me Al. My name is Alexandra. And Glenn says, well, are we going to launch him? Suddenly you hear a horn honking and Al says, you can do whatever you want. I got to go. Glenn says, where you promised me we can launch him. Al says, I'm going shopping with Lori and Linda. Terry goes, the Lee sisters. Ugh. <laughs> and Glenn goes, Al, wait, what about Thunderbolt? Al says, just forget about Thunderbolt. It's gone. Terry says, what do you need her for anyway? I mean, what's the big deal? And then Glenn says, well, Ever since I burnt a hole in the roof and they cut to a giant (laughs) scorch on the side of the house, my dad says I can't launch any of my rockets without supervision. And then Terry goes, hey, I'll supervise. (laughs) Yeah, problem solved. And I love how uh, the the Lee sisters are both driving a, well, not it's one car, but they have a sweet uh, cherry red convertible Mustang, dude. It is gorgeous. I'm so jealous. Yeah. It's another reason why I hated my youth because i'm just like how come they get that yeah yeah I, my first car was a fucking like 1991 nissan Sentra or something like that you know i mean that's was it did it run though yeah it ran yeah exactly i mean i paid like i think it was my it was my uncle's car he had just gotten like four new tires on it so he was like eh just pay me for the tires you know like i paid him like 150 bucks and he gave it to me isn't that amazing that back in the day it was like that that stuff mattered. 
t- new tires. Yeah. Nowadays, when you get a new, like people get new cars all the time nowadays and don't even bat an eye at it. Back in the day, it was like everybody got a used car. Yeah. And I mean, I want my kid to have a used car when, when you know they finally have one too, because when I was in high school, you know, 95, when everyone my grade was, you know, starting to drive, 95, 96, I saw, because I went to a rich high school. I was not rich, but I went to a rich high school. And I saw almost every single kid that got a new Mustang for their birthday totaled that Mustang within, you know, a month. So, uh, yeah, our kid, mine and Myra's, or, you know, yours and my kid, uh, Zach, uh, will have a, yeah, our a, kid. <laughs> a beater, a piece of shit beater, man. I agree with that. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, the Mustang, they go to the mall, and then you cut back to... Uh, I almost said anus. Angus lying on the ground outside, watching the hole in the ground. Little Angus, poor Angus. I know Angus, but anus. You would you watch Ford Fairlane or something recently? Now, I don't know. With the hole in the ground, like there's a big hole. And, uh. Never mind. Anyways, there's all these moths flying out of the out of the hole. Right? It's really gross. I have this. I, I, I was um I was with my parents once, uh, visiting an aunt. And they, I fell asleep. I was like maybe four, five, and they put me in the attic of their, of the house, and I woke up, drenched in sweat. I had like a fever dream, and I was hyperventilating. And similar to the Amityville horror, there were all these flies on the window, inside the the, the attic where I, they had stuck me, and I just started panic screaming, you know. And my mom came up and got me. But why didn't they put you like on a couch or like why the attic? Why the hell did they put you up in the? Was the attic finished or was it like unfinished? It was finished, but there was like dolls up there and shit. What it was the creepy. Fuck. It was hot. It was like stuffy. Yeah. Did yeah. you have a fever or was it just from the heat from being? I up think it was there? from the heat being like suffocating. Yeah. Basically. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> Welcome to my childhood. Anyways. <laughs> um... Terry grabs a bunch of the moths and puts them in a glass jar while he looks over at the bug zapper killing a bunch of them. And Glenn asks Terry, he says, what are those for? Terry goes, live cargo. Glenn inspects his rocket and they're like, uh, he's inspecting the rocket that they're going to launch. And he goes, ah, forget it. It got wet in the trash. And then Terry is fascinated with the moths in the jar. He's like, how long do you think they can live without air? And Glenn goes, hey, man, that's cruel. Come on. And Terry goes, come on, come on. It's neat. And they cut to the buzzing <laughs> sound of the bug zapper. Fade to later that day, dad goes to the hole and says, Glenn, look at your mom's pussy. Uh, Glenn? <laughs> <laughs> What's the definition of vagina? The box the penis comes in. Oh! <laughs> His dad says, Glenn, your mom's got a big pussy. Your mom's got a big pussy. <laughs> Your pussy's as big as a house. (laughs) (laughs) Woo, baby. That's why we're rated TVM for mature. (laughs) Or TVM for immature. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. As the dad walks away from the hole, cut back to the house, and it's dinner time. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. 
We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. Hey, everybody. I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. And now, back to the show. Dad is questioning whether they should call a babysitter to watch Al and Glenn while they go on their vacation for three days. And Al says, come on, I'm going to be 16 in two weeks. You said I'm mature enough. Dad asks if Glenn can be trusted, and Mom's like debating that as well. You know, How can we be sure that you'll behave while we're gone for three whole days? And Glenn says, it was Terry that started it, Mom, in regards to the hole in the ground. And then t- and the mom says, if Terry jumped off a bridge, I suppose you would jump off too. And Glenn goes, sure, why not? <laughs> and laughs after that. It's great. I love the sarcasm. Yeah. And Al too. says, look, I can take care of Terry and I can take care of Glenn. I can take care of this house, please. And the parents say, all right. And dad looks at his dad, looks at Glenn and says, but you young man are grounded for the weekend. And that means you do not leave this house. And then dad goes, until we come back, grounded, for real? And dad goes, for real. Dude, so I was like, I was curious because, um, you know, I, I looked up and, and I like the fact that, uh, you know, Al is like, I'm going to be 16 in a few weeks. And yeah, the actress at this time was 15. I thought okay. Stephen, I didn't look up Stephen Dorff because I thought he was like eight or nine. He's 14 years old in this. <sighs> he's, his, he's his namesake. I... Is he? I mean, like, he's a good-looking yeah. dude now, but is he dwarf he's on tiny. dwarf? Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a little guy. He's a little guy. <laughs> he's a little guy. He's, a, he's <laughs> a little Elijah Wood. He would have been great in uh, the, the Hobbit. But so how – So, but he's supposed to be, we were guessing, like 10 or 11, right? Maybe tw- – I'm going to say he's supposed to be 10. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm saying Glenn is like 11. Like, okay, so Glenn's like 11. Terry is his age, which I think is like 14. Sorry, I'm going to say I'm, I'm going to say Terry is 11. I'm going to say oh. Glenn is 10. Okay, okay, okay. So, so, okay. And then she's her actual age. Yeah, she's 15. Okay, all right, all right. She's just 15, 15 years old. <laughs> Leave her alone, they say. Horrible lyrics, by the way. I know. Anyways. I know. Oh, and real quick, before we leave this scene, I got to say that mom was way too proud of her incredibly burnt pot roast. Yes. Yeah. And that was disgusting. Disgusting. At least they're not sitting in front of a TV eating what, you know. This is true. That's actually, you know what? Bonus points for them actually eating as a family. Because most of the time in the 80s, at least in my house, we just sat around the TV didn't talk yeah yeah no we we i didn't my mom actually had a strict rule against watch good for like your mom like actually she wanted us you know me and her to actually sit down and eat at the table you know so good for your mom yeah. good for your mom yeah. um 
dad says, after dinner, pal, you fill in that hole. <laughs> okay. After every, everybody, smi- yeah, right. <laughs> everybody smiles and goes back to eating dinner. Cut to later that night in Glenn's room. Glenn's getting ready for bed. Dad says goodnight to him. And the jar full of moths is on his table. Dad lets him just have a bunch of moths that are going to die. Dad goes to turn the light off, but Glenn asks him to leave it on. Dad gets on the bed and says, what's with you today? Glenn says, I don't know. Something about that hole. <laughs> Dad, says, <laughs> Dad says, what do you mean? Glenn says, I don't know. It's just weird. It reminds me of mom. Dad says, no, I didn't say Dad says, well, well, you filled it in, didn't you? Dad's, and Glenn goes, yeah. But Terry told me something. He said a long time ago, when they were building our house, workmen got killed. The other workmen didn't want to tell the police. So they sealed him up in one of our walls. Dad says, look, son, let me tell you something about Terry. You remember last year when Terry's mom died? Yeah. She deserved it. Well, ever (laughs) since... That bitch deserved it. (laughs) Ever ever since then, Terry's been a little strange. I think he's kind of angry inside that his mom's gone. So you just remember that when he gets destructive or tries to scare you. I think he's a little confused, that's all. You know what I'm saying? Glenn goes, I think so. Dad says, you want me to turn the light on? No, it's okay. Good night, Tiger. Dad? Yeah? Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) And then he closes the door. Glenn hears a scratching noise, looks around, sees the light outside, pulls the curtain down on his bedroom window, and gets under his covers. Looks at the moths in the jar. Some of them look like they're still alive, and a lot of them look like they're dead. I bet they actually killed moths to get that shot, you know? I, yes, 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 and yes. Um, Yeah, I I was like the 80s when kids loved to use bugs and put them in shit and kill them. And I remember this kid I knew, he liked to pull the legs off of Daddy Long Legs. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, watch, you just roll it around on the ground. I'm like, that's gross. horrible. Yeah. You're gross. I I was never one to kind of, you know, do that to to animals um, or insects. Um, So a few few things I thought was awesome. I thought that they had a cool little backstory for for Terry. Simple to the point. Yep. Yep. And, and, you know, relatable and everything. And it's going to actually get kind of dark later when, you know, we'll we'll get there. Um, And I really like his parents. Like, this movie doesn't make the parents dicks. Like, I feel like they were very genuinely written you know the dad you know he's like hey just trying to try and talk to his kid and everything and and you know yeah he's pissed about the giant hole in the backyard but he didn't like yell at his kid about it like holy shit like my dad would have fucking yelled his ass off at me like this guy's really fucking cool like a really cool fucking dad and then to leave you know his his 15 year old daughter and we're guessing 10 or 11 year old son together for like three days like that's I I don't think I would have had that option at that age. So like they're really cool fucking parents, man. I agree. I agree. And they're gonna get even cooler when their faces cave in. <laughs> uh, cut to the next day. Alan Glenn are in, or Alan Glenn. Alan Glenn. Alan Glenn is the new astronaut going into space. <laughs> Al and Glenn are saying goodbye to their mom and dad. Parents remind them. Uh, that Glenn has to stay in for the weekend. But they want the house clean when they come home. Uh, the mom says, you know, if you don't need, if you need us for any reason, don't be afraid to give us a call. The number, by the way, is on the refrigerator. 
that's important too. The parents say no parties. Both kids at the same time say okay. And then great editing because cut to a party. A rager. <laughs> Lori and Linda enter. Oh my gosh, great party. Uh, they're like the typical 80s uh, valley girl kind of, you know. But they're also like the typical high school popular kids who pick on younger kids because they're going to do some picking on Glenn. And it's it's classic picking. It's good. It's good picking. It's good picking. It's good. And, and I got to say, like. My, I, I swear to God, I've seen my sister have her hair like, you know, half of the girls at this party. I remember, you know, because I've my, my sister, um, she is six years older than me, so she was straight up, you know, like a teenager and everything in the 80s. And, uh, you know, I remember just all of those, and I remember her friends too, you know, and I, I didn't grow up with her, uh, she lived with my dad, so I'd see her during the summertime stuff, you know, but like, yeah, I remember fucking. Just all that shit, man. All that, all those, all that style. And in this scene, this party is great because there's so much fantastic '80s outfits in this party. Yeah, it's pure '80s cheese, pure '80s Canadian cheese. Yeah. I suppose it's poutine. <laughs> it's poutine. Uh, if you will. Yes, it's poutine. The house is packed. Angus is wandering through the house. It's funny eating food off of the, you know, various people's tables and whatnot, and. uh Al is cleaning up and watching Lori and Linda pointing at a guy that they think is hot. It's Eric. We'll give it to Eric later. She pulls Angus away from trying to eat chips from someone's bowl. She brings Angus upstairs and shoves Angus in Glenn's room. Cut to Glenn and Terry in Glenn's room and Glenn's looking at the moths in the jar. This is when Al enters with Angus and Terry's hammering away in the giant geode. Angus walks over to Terry, and Terry gets annoyed and pushes Angus away. Angus lays down on the ground while Terry continues to hammer. Terry says, it's not going to break. And Glenn says, why don't, we get, why don't we get the Lee sisters to look at it? And they both laugh. Terry says, we can throw it off the roof tomorrow. <laughs> he gets up from the table, and he says, come on, let's go party. And Glenn says, she won't let us. Terry says, sure she will. Why not? And Glenn says, it's just, ah, forget it. And he hammers away at the geode. And then he takes a real hard whack and the in the shot of him hitting the geode, he's like really like annoyed and almost angry. <laughs> and when he does, it splits open and light and smoke emit from the geode, causing both kids to cough and wave the smoke away. I mean, I would have been into geodes if I had that kind of experience when I was a kid. But I if that happened, I would have been like, uh, I need to get my sister because this is really creepy. Because it's really creepy. The geode is glistening and sparkling, and Glenn asks Terry if it's supposed to do that. And Terry says, no, maybe it just got some compressed air in it when it was being formed or something. Just a good point. Yeah. I have no idea how those things work, but sure. No idea either. As they're looking at the geode, Glenn notices his little um, drawing pad. You know the drawing pads we had when we were kids? This one is like a Sesame Street one. Yeah, with the one where you could write on it and you lift the cellophane up and then it disappears yeah yeah i remember those yeah and this one has marks on it and glenn starts reading the 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 marks and the words aloud aka kuto ala ita klatu brata suddenly he hear he hears like a whimpering sound and a moaning sound 
after he says the words, smoke starts coming out of the hole, and Angus's ears go up. Glenn's Cut to mom. an outside. <laughs> Cut to an outside shot of the hole in the ground, and you hear moaning coming out of the hole in the ground. Cut back to inside the house. Glenn and Terry sneak downstairs and make their way into the living room while one of the dudes at the party is telling a ghost story. Everyone's listening intently, and I'm going to read the story word for word here. And there's also this, like this, like this laugh. And there's this weird tearing sound. So she goes to the door and she opens it really slowly. And there, in the rocking chair, the decomposed corpse of her dead father. <laughs> Al leans back on who we will later find out is Eric, the dude who was scoping her earlier. She like lays back on him while they're listening to the story. Glenn and Terry watch while eating a pizza. Now, have you ever been to a party like this kind of party with teenagers and everything to have it just come to a like an awesome party? Like people are mingling and having a good time to have it come to a grinding halt to have somebody tell a story, you know? No, but I would not be surprised if, you know, actor parties in L.A. are like this. Okay, everybody, look at me. Look at me. We're all going to tell stories about each other. I hate fucking actors so much. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Um, so the guy continues. He goes, in the rocking chair, the decomposed corpse of the dead father, and in his lap is the severed head of her boyfriend, and he's tearing out hair by the handful. And everyone screams, and one of the girls goes, you made that up. And then this random party girl who's like, you could tell she's she's the real... Uh, she's the uh, TTFN... Um, of Witchboard in this movie, right? What was that? What's yes. that lady's name from oh, Murphy's God, Law? From um, and Roadhouse. Yeah, shit. We're gonna have people driving off the road. I got. We got to look it up now. Yeah, it's Catherine Wilhoit. 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 Yeah. 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 So yeah, she's the she's the Catherine Wilhoit of of this scene right here. I also call her Ms. Buzzkill. Because I feel like she's a buzz killer. <laughs> hey guys, um, uh, I see you're all with your boyfriends. Um, who wants to hang out with me? <laughs> no one. Uh, she's the one who shows up and like you're getting ready to make out with your girl, and then she's like, "Are we gonna play a game together?" Oh, God. So yeah, so this girl, this this teenager is like, uh, she goes, "I believe the story. Weird things happen all the time." We make up ghost stories to explain powers inside us that we don't understand. And one dude goes, what kind of powers? Uh. Like what? Uh. And she's like, well, like, well, you guys ever do levitation homes? <laughs> and one guy goes, <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> it's telekinesis, Kyle. <laughs> With mind bullets. <laughs> and she and this guy goes, it's ma- it's an illusion. Eh, like mask, you know, mask. <laughs> it's an illusion. And she goes, no, it's a matter of concentration. It really works here. I'll show you. And then t- Glenn says to Terry while they're sitting, watching all this unfold. He goes, do you believe in all that stuff? Terry just nods. And Glenn says, yeah, me too. And I love that moment. Cause it's like two kids just listening. Mm-hmm. I, I picture like, what if Bodhi was seeing adults talk about stuff with his friends and you know, like, yeah, kids get, 
I could see him believing that. And it kind of reminds me of the whole craft thing where the light is a feather, whatever chant that they do. Stiff as a board. Yeah. Light is a feather, stiff, stiff as, as a board. board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched that for the first time with Myra like last year or something. I'd, I'd never seen it before. That movie is 90s AF. <laughs> yeah, I have not seen that, nor do I really want to. Ah, it was, you know what? To quote Bodie, it was fine. It was fine. <laughs> so the random girl tells everyone to gather around. And Story Dude is the one they're going to lift up. Story Dude, brah. Come on, brah. Story Dude, brah. And, and she goes, I'm calling out the spirit. People are giggling. And she's like, no, shh, everyone clear your mind. And people are grunting and a chair drops. Like They're trying to pick up the dude, but they can't. She's like, you broke your concentration. And one hunky guy goes, no, I broke my fingernail. Too much junk food. <laughs> she goes, it doesn't matter. It's not the weight. And then the story dude goes, hey, little man, come here. And Al says, Glenn, go back to your room. And story dude goes, no, come here. It'll be all right. Come on. Doesn't he call him a midget too? <laughs> I think he does. He does. Yeah. And then the story dude says, let's see if we can levitate him. It's a cinch. He's a midget. And then the girl goes, he's a dwarf. He's a dwarf on dwarf. He's a dwarf on dwarf. Buzz killer goes, well, okay, we'll just use two people. And Terry's watching as they start to levitate him. Buzz killer says, transmit and stimulate the energy. Everyone else concentrate. Now everyone. Yoda, concentrate. Everyone now, clear. Your minds will clear. They will. And and then, you know, she's saying, think of Glenn as light as a feather, stiff as a board. And one girl goes, I wish I wasn't as flat as a board. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we're, just, we're creating our own script now, baby. We are, because it's really good, baby. <laughs> Suddenly, there, she's like drifting in front of the windows. Like dandelions in a breeze. Rise, rise. Suddenly, Glenn gets a Rise, Suprentor, rise. <laughs> rise, exactly. Suddenly, Glenn lifts up off their hands and flies to the ceiling in the room, screaming for them to get him down. Yeah. And no one can get him down. He crashes into a light fixture, which he holds onto, and it breaks, and he falls to the ground. He starts crying. He runs upstairs to his bedroom. Terry follows him, while Linda and Lori giggle. And the random girl says, maybe I won't do that again. <laughs> Terry knocks on Glenn's door, but he won't answer. Al comes up as well. Terry says to Al, I think it's because he cried in front of everyone. And Al kind of feels bad for him because she's his big sister. And she goes, Glenn, don't be embarrassed. Crying's nothing. Remember when Trevor Stubblefield pants me in front of the whole auditorium? And Terry goes, yeah. And I barfed on Steve Slavitt after the 12 minute run. Then Glenn finally opens his door and says, I want to call mom and dad. And Al says, Glenn, no, I want to, I want you to call them. Glenn says, she goes, what am I going to tell them? We're scared because we levitated Glenn and he broke the light. Great. You must love Mrs. Vandergrift. And that's like the babysitter they were going to call. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Who who would be there? You know? Yeah. If, if it wasn't for Al basically. Watching right. Him, yeah. And she kind of makes a deal with Glenn. She goes, look, Terry can sleep over and keep you company. Let's all just get some sleep. I'm going to lock up. And Glenn looks at Terry and goes, you really barked on Steve Slavitt? And I love Terry. He's like, yep. But it was just such a like a natural kind of a natural acting moment. Yeah. They feel so genuinely kid like, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I'm I'm waiting to say the exact same thing. Um, whereas like when Glenn 
you know, levitated. I thought that was really cool. He hit the, you know, hit the, the light above him and then kind of scooted over on the ceiling and then had like held on to another light. He kind of actually broke two of them. But like, right. I thought right. his response was like how it would be like how I would have probably been as well. He's, he's crying because he's fucking terrified. That makes sense. And then, you know, I like the fact that his sister isn't like, ah, fuck that kid, Glenn, you know, like she actually cares. I think I was trying to figure out what the, the thesis to the, to this movie is in the beginning. And I think it's the scene where, um, Al is throwing away the, the stuff, you know, the, the rockets for Glenn. And he's like, no, you know, I think the thesis of this movie is, is them coming back together as friends, because you can tell they were closer when they were younger and everything. Yeah. And I think the thesis of this movie is, is like how everything sort of brings them back together and they have to sort of, well, they don't really work together to, to defeat the problem, but it does bring them together. Um, but overall, and I'm going to say this again, I have multiple notes of it. I just love how everyone acts. Everyone's, and, and this is also script. It's not just the acting, but I think the script portrays all these kids as kids. Like all of their reactions are kid reactions. It's not like an adult trying to write for a kid or something. It all feels very genuine to me. Totally agree. And, you know, I think that's natural with siblings where there's that time when you're super close. And then there's that time when suddenly you break up, you know, you break apart and, and it doesn't feel good to be like left behind. Well, especially since there's clearly like a, at least a three or four year, I'd say if not five year age gap between yeah. them. So that that's a, for kids. I mean, even just one year different. So I, I would go down and hang out with my cousins um, in when I, so I'd, I'd go see my dad in Roanoke during the summer times. Um, since I had went to school in Maryland, all my friends were up in Maryland. So when I went to my dad's, I was usually by myself. That's when I'd read a lot of comics. We'll go in the back of the woods and just, you know, play Predator, play, you know, uh, Return of the Jedi. I was usually a biker scout, you know, or something. But once or twice a week, I'd go hang out with my cousins and everything. And my cousins, like, I've, they have five of them, right? It was four boys yeah. and one girl. And I remember, like, one summer, I'd be closer to John, who was, like, six months to a year older than me. And then the next one in the line was Charlie, and I wouldn't really hang out with Charlie that year. And then next summer I'd go back. John was into other shit that I wasn't into, and I'd hang out with Charlie because I was in between that age. And then the next summer I would hang out with John. It's it was very it's interesting to see how kids mature and at what rate they mature, you know. Right. But yeah, dude. It's in, you know. So ju that just to sort of illustrate how even just like six months to almost like less than a year difference in age can make a huge fucking difference when you're like 11, 12 years old or slash, you know, 14, 15, 16. Yeah. Yeah. My brother's five years older than me. So I definitely can relate. Yes. <clears throat> when he was For tormenting sure. you at that, that he was, too. you were 10 and he was 15. Right. So now we cut back to, we cut to Al in her bedroom at night, turning off the lights before she does. She's looking at herself in the mirror just, you know, adjusting her clothes and what kids do. Cut to Glenn and Terry getting ready for bed. Terry turns off the light. Glenn's already asleep. Terry walks out of the bedroom past Angus, who's sleeping on the ground. Cut back to Glenn's bedroom. Glenn's awake. And he's looking at the shadow of the moths on his window. There's moths all over his window now. A bunch of them are getting killed by the bug zapper outside. Glenn sits up. 
walks over to his window and there's a curtain covering it, but then he pulls the shade down. Slowly turns around and sees a dinosaur on his bookshelf, looks at the shadow, and there's like a weird sound effect, like kind of creeping him out, like, roar or whatever. And this little shot here, this is to me the reminder that it's a kid's movie. It's not, you know, because we think it's silly, but to a kid, yeah, it's that's scary. It's creepy, yeah. Terry comes out of the bathroom, looks down at Angus. Angus is still asleep, and suddenly wind brushes Terry's face. And he looks over the railing downstairs because they're, they're on the second floor. I meant to point that out if I haven't already. And he looks down the railing and sees the front door open to the house. And there's a woman in the, in the doorway. The woman opens her arms. And it's Terry's mom. This is so fucking dark. The woman says, I love you, Terry. Terry runs downstairs and says, Mom? Mom? Mommy? I love you. I love you, Mommy. And she says, Terry, come to me. I've missed you so much. Terry's now crying, understandably. Yeah. He's excited. He's excited to see her, and he hugs his mom. Cut back to Glenn in his bedroom, looking at the walls of his bedroom, and then says, oh, no. Suddenly, you see hands pushing on the inside of the wall out, like a ripple effect on the wall of his bedroom, like moving across the wall. It's like a body or hands or something rippling across the, it's a really creepy effect. It is. It's really cool. It's very much akin to the effect of Freddie and uh, nightmare on Elm street coming over Nancy and then kind of going back. Was nightmare on Elm street 86 or 87? I thought it was 84. 84. Okay. Okay. That makes I sense. I thought it was. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense too, because I will say the one music cue that I noted in this movie was right here when Terry sees his mom. It had a very boo doo 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 like Nightmare on Elm Street. How it how that music sort of oh, yeah. starts, you know? Doom, doom, yeah, doom. yep, like that. Yep. It had it had Nightmare on Elm Street vibes to it. Yep. Remember that Nickelback song? <laughs> Don't give uh, Don't give Dustin any fodder. Not that he he not that he listens to this at all. An hour into this, he's already tapped. Yeah, he's 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 gone. He's gone. And for all of you that are still listening, thank you. And for everyone, thank you so much. And for those of you who haven't considered signing up to our Patreon, go to Patreon.com/slash/PodcastingAfterDark. It's a great way to support the show. Keep the lights on at the Podcasting After Dark video store. Sure, why not? Cut back to Terry being embraced by his mom downstairs. She's stroking his hair while he's hugging her. Suddenly, as he turns, he realizes he's hugging Angus, oh. and Angus is now dead. What? Terry screams and drops Angus on the ground. He falls back and like sits down on the ground and falls away from Angus and crawls towards Angus. Glenn runs out of his bedroom over the balcony and sees that Angus is dead, and Terry's looking up from... Terry is looking up at them. Like in shock, terrified. Yeah, he's crying too. I mean, my God, it's it's this is intense. This is so fucking intense. It's really creepy. Yes, it is. It it is legitimately creepy. You cut to the next day and Terry's outside, he's got his duffel bag ready to leave. Understandably so. Makes you not want to spend the night at your friend's house after something like that happens. He's got his bag ready to leave and he apologizes to Glenn. And Glenn says, He was ninety seven. They don't live much longer than that. He was really old. Terry kind of smiles at Glenn and asks Terry if he wants to come over later and mess around. Terry gets excited and says, sure, yeah, I'll see you later. 
And he walks away. And as he walks away, he's wearing a denim jacket with the band Killer Dwarfs on the back of the jacket. And Glenn watches him walk off. Now, do you know what that what that band is? No, I only knew it from this movie, and I don't think it's a real band. Oh no, I think it is. Um, I, I just one of one of the very few IMDb like trivia. Did you know? Oh, um, yeah, I think it's a, a Canadian like heavy metal slash you know sort of punk, sort of like a tongue in cheeks kind of band, kind of funny, you know, type of thing. Um, okay, but <laughs> all right, guys, I don't know if this will be the last time I say it, but maybe. I think that Glenn's reaction was very genuinely a child. Like, kids kind of bounce back from shit, you know? And he's kind of like, yeah, you know, Angus was... And you could, you could tell, like, in next scene, too, when he's looking at Angus's bowl, like, you can tell he's still upset about it. But he's a kid. He's processing. He's like, yeah, they're old. They don't... He was old. He didn't live that long, you know, anyways. Like, I felt like, again, the reaction, the way Glenn sort of reacted to everything is genuine. It felt like a very genuine kid response. Right, right, and, and Terry clearly didn't tell him about fantasizing seeing his mom. Right, so, yeah, you know, that too. You cut to Terry walking into his home, calling for his dad. Poor his Terry. dad's not around. His dad's not around, but yet he sees food everywhere on the kitchen counter. It's a mess. There's trash everywhere. Actually, it looks a lot like my kitchen used to look back in the day. Um, and I had a mom and dad there and brother and no one wanted to do dishes and it was disgusting. And that's a whole other bag of trauma that I don't want to unpack on this episode. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I will unpack that on podcasting after dark's wrap up after dark. If you'd like to listen to my trauma. Oh, wow. I didn't, I, I will say, you know, my mom was very clean. I'm very clean. I, I cleaned this house like a motherfucker. And, um, I grew up in a very, very clean household. Now that being said, I, it wasn't a household where we weren't allowed to spill. You know what I mean? Like there was no like getting angry if we spilled something. But yeah. mom, my mom never had dirty dishes or, or like pizza boxes hanging out or anything like that. Oh, we did. It was disgusting. And there was maggots and we were a hoarder house. Oh, yeah. no. It was, it was. I mean, it was not as bad of of a hoarder house as you've seen on those shows, but. It was pretty close. Oh no! Oh, I didn't. Oh, I didn't yes. know this part of everything. Oh my god! Oh yes! Oh yes! <laughs> I, I think oh. this is the worst part of it because I'm a knee freak. This is this is the most horrifying part of your childhood. <laughs> yeah. So Terry's walking in there. He sees a note on his refrigerator. It says, uh, "Terry gone on business. Back later, Dad." There's no love or anything. Terry looks annoyed. Crumples up the paper. Throws it in the sink. And again, there's trash and food everywhere. Cut to Glenn at breakfast looking and sitting at the kitchen table looking at Angus's dog bowl, which still has food in it, like you said. Al brings some orange juice and Glenn asks, what do you want to do about Angus? Al tells him not to worry about it. And he goes, aren't you going to call mom and dad? She goes, no, I'll take care of it. Glenn says, well, if you're not, I'm going to. And Al says, Glenn, mom and dad are going to be home tomorrow. Glenn says, I don't care. I want them to know what happened. Suddenly, doorbell rings, and she says, she says, you're not calling them. Al goes to the door to bring her friends in the house, and Glenn goes to call Mom and Dad from the phone. Glenn grabs the phone number off the refrigerator and starts to make the phone call, but Al grabs the phone number out of his hand and hangs up the phone and says, nice try. Glenn says, fine. Lori and Linda come in with hunky boy Eric, and they giggle at Glenn. And Glenn goes to sit back down to eat his breakfast. 
He says, fine, I'll call him later. And Larry says, what's the matter with him? Isn't Romper Room on today? <laughs> Glenn says, buzz off, clown face. Larry says, don't you have to go upstairs and change your pampers or something? Glenn says, don't you have to go join the circus? And Al says, hey, guys, come on. Glenn looks pissed and sad. You cut to Terry in his bedroom, rocking out, listening to heavy metal music, playing air guitar. When the song, like the metal starts to slow down, Glenn pulls a sheet over his head. Uh, rainbow sheet by the yeah, way i know i sent a picture to zach and i said this movie's too woke it's too woke i tell you i love those sheets <laughs> I, by the way i, I do them. too that's it's so 80s to have those rainbow sheets so 80s and he pulls the sheet over his head like a cloak and starts reciting the words from the album that he's listening to and i wrote it all down in a time before the earth before the sun and before the light of the stars, when all was darkness and chaos, the old gods, the forgotten gods, ruled the darkness. But what was theirs now belongs to the world of light and substance. And the old gods, the rightful masters, are jealous, watching mankind with a hatred that is as boundless as the stars. Suddenly, Terry stops mimicking uh lip-syncing the words sits down and pulls the sheet off his head and pulls the album that he's listening to out from his bed the band is called sacrifice but it's an x at the end and the album's called the dark room so would it be sacrifix then sacrifix yeah sacrifix he starts looking at the liner notes which are amazing by the way oh yeah (laughs) like a booklet yeah no it's it's a book you bought a you get a book when you buy this album and fun fact, there's a record label called Terrorvision Records who put out a gate soundtrack. Oh, wow. And they put out, a, I believe they put out a special edition with that book in it as well. Oh, wow. That's so, like, awesome. one side of it is the, the, the poster art of the album, yeah. I think. And then the other side is the Sacrifix uh, cover art. And inside it is the booklet. I don't know if it's still available on their website, but I'm sure you can find it on eBay. Do you think Lee has it? Does Lee have the vinyl? <laughs> Perhaps. Lee, Lee, tell us if you have it, buddy. Yeah. And if if you do, give it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> um, give it to me, baby. The, uh, the album continues. The the. the the, the incantations continue plans for the destruction of man that are beyond imagining. <laughs> There's a passageway between our physical world of light, pleasure, and their spiritual world of madness and pain, a gate behind which the demons wait for the chance to take back what is theirs. <laughs> That was good, buddy. That was good. Thanks. Terry looks at the Sesame Street follow that bird little writing pad that was Glenn's. He must have taken it from his house uh, that he saw the night before with the words written on it. And those same symbols and words are in the inside of the album that he's listening to. Suddenly, the language goes from English to an unknown language, like some weird gibberish, like speaking tongues. Terry picks up half the geode and looks at it, puts it down on his bed. And then go ba- goes back to the liner notes of the album. Terry looks scared and concerned because he knows what this all means. Cue thunder. And dude, 1987. So obviously this was made in 1986. But man, this is the height of satanic panic in the 80s, right? It is. Look, I my brother was a metalhead. 
Um, I was cued into all that stuff too. I was playing D and D back in the day. I was into wasp, you know, and all Motley Crue had a crucifix on their album cover. Shout at the devil, shout at the devil, you know? So like, and I think they even have a track on shout at the devil that gets all demonic at the end. So it, it plays into all that, which makes it even better in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I like it too. Um, and then I, I wanted to mention it earlier, um, but we kind of segued into the, the Terry scene. Um, so where do you stand on calling the parents that the dog is dead? Like, I was like, well, I mean, I get it. They're coming tomorrow, but I feel like that's kind of a big one, you know? Oh, like, you, you, you call them. You call them. Yeah, like Angus died. Like, you don't have to come home, but, like, we're, we want to at least tell you, you know? But, kid, but kids... But she's, I get it. Like she, she wants her trying, freedom. She's, she wants she, to sow her oats and everything. Yeah. And she's like, I can handle this kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And I think that's her attitude. Um, yeah. That's where I am at. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I, I think there's no, I, I mean, there is a right answer here. I think you call the parents, but I, I do get where Al is coming from. This is like her first chance at freedom. And I do like a like, movie wise, like the, the party, wasn't like that big of a deal as far as like story goes. Like the party isn't what trashed the house. Like you know what I mean. Like you always see those that in eighties movies how the party sort of the last thing you got to clean up before the parents get home or whatever. Like the party happened, and you know the house survived. Like I I dig that. I dig that. That's it's it's different. I like that. Yeah. Well, I'm we're about to get to Glenn with the voice being the voice of reason for all this too. Yeah, and, right. and just while we're talking about the party, real quick, I was just kind of skimming through IMDb because um, I was looking for something, and the guy that was telling the story, you know, the his name was Brad. He's like actually a producer. Like he produced Cruella, he produced Freaky Friday, he produced Sky High. Like he he became like a fucking big time producer. What's his name? Uh, Andrew Gunn. Oh, uh, I taught his son Connor. <laughs> no shit that's hilarious really wow he's also on an episode of uh the war of the worlds tv show right after this i'll have to reach out to him yeah i taught his son connor and uh i mean he's and... from toronto canada but i assume now he lives down in la yeah he's he's a he was a parent at my school that's no really funny fucking shit man if dude i would love to talk to him that would be yeah, awesome Con- yeah connor connor was uh in my school of rock as well so oh no yeah, shit that's really funny Wow, small world. <laughs> wow, file that one. Um, yeah, so we we cut back to Glenn and Al at the house where Lori and Linda are talking to Al and saying how, you know, Eric really likes Al and that they should go with them to the beach. Meanwhile, Glenn's sitting there listening to them, looking super bummed out. And Al says, I don't know. I mean, I, I just can't go. And Lori goes, look, just leave him some Gerbers and he'll be fine. And Al says, you can't go. And meanwhile, Eric is eating Glenn's food, by the way. <laughs> He's eating his cereal, yeah. And and uh, Glenn says, what about Angus? What about what happened last night? You have to call mom and dad. And Al says, Glenn, cool out. And Linda says, what is he talking about? And Glenn says, tell him. And Al says, Angus died last night. And Lori looks like she doesn't even care. And Glenn says, tell him about the other stuff. Al says, there is no other stuff. And Glenn says, what's the matter with you guys? Something really scary happened last night. And Linda goes, what? Glenn says, the levitation? You guys were there. And Eric says, hey, little man, that was just an illusion. 
<laughs> and then Glenn says, what do you know, lover boy? And Al says, what's your problem? And Al, and Glenn says, you, Alexandra. Al says, you're acting like a baby. And Glenn says, just shut up. And he looks at Eric and says, <laughs> rhymes with bag. But he like says it like, eh, and, then and then runs, like, runs off. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, that is such a little kid thing to do is to, to drop an insult on somebody and then just run away. Run off. Yeah. yeah. I was like, That's... even though he's 14. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, now I'm going to call out uh, uh, Eric played by Sean Fagan. Um, he only has three roles. Uh, this, <laughs> the uh, the Edison Twins, which was a TV show from 1982 to 1986. I'm guessing he was on maybe uh, one episode or something of it. Um, but he was also in an episode of Friday the 13th, the TV series. Um, but he also passed away in 2006. I oh, actually kind of liked him in this. And honestly, he gave me shades of Dana Ashbrook from uh, Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Like, I, I kind of got vibes of him from that. Yeah, I could see that. I could totally see that. Uh, what what I'm saying is I liked him. I kind of wish we had more of him in the, in the movie, but unfortunately he hasn't really done any you know much else either. Well, Al likes him enough to let her take care of his dead dog, so there you go. I mean, and that's also quite the responsibility too, by the way. Right. Like, yeah. And also, like, old school... Like you, sh- you're you're supposed to handle your own affairs. Like those kind of affairs, those are the kind of affairs you handle yourself. You don't you don't farm that out to some kid you like. And you just bury the dog in the backyard. That's what I did with all my dogs. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's what my dad did with them. Yeah, exactly. Throw it in the. Um, never mind. Throw um, it in the dumpster. <laughs> like oh an God. unwanted fetus. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. So uh, you know, the Linda and Lori want Al to go with them to the beach hang out with Eric and Al's like, well, we got to do something about Angus and take him to an animal shelter or something. And Linda goes, Eric will do it. And Eric's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. So Lori says, we'll go to the mall, get munchies and we'll all meet that. And and we'll all meet up. Okay. Come on. So they all leave. Glenn watches them from outside her outside his window as Al's starting to get in the car with Lori and Linda. She turns back and looks at Glenn and he just walks away from the window. She gets in the car with her friends and drives off. That's when Glenn looks at a photo album of him and his sister and Angus and reminisces. Cue the theme song from Wonder Years. Dude, I love the photo album he's looking at because there's a picture of him and his sister Al. And they look like they won like a hunting competition or something. But it's the only it's one of only two pictures that the production department actually clearly took because so Glenn is looking at it in the picture album. He smiles. Then he looks up and looks over at his wall and looks at the exact same picture framed on the wall. And I'm like, you guys didn't take another picture. Did you No, they had, they had a two for one day at the, uh, they got doubles. They got doubles of that one. They, now they did take the production, did take another two pictures and I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah. We'll get to that in a little bit. That's yeah. Great. But he looks sad. He's starting to cry. Cut to him looking under his bed. And there's a wrapped present. He pulls the present out. There he rips up the he rips open the present and it's a rocket launching device. He looks at the card and it says, Happy birthday, love Glenn. And it's a picture of the Thunderbolt rocket. He tosses the card to the side and looks at the compact launch system box and throws it behind his bed and looks bummed out. 
Suddenly, he hears a crackling sound. He runs downstairs and walks into his kitchen. He sees the light above the kitchen table shaking back and forth. The door to his backyard is open. He walks outside the door. He walks outside and the door closes behind him. He looks up at the bug zapper and it's going crazy killing bugs. He unplugs it. He walks over to the hole in the ground that was covered up, quote unquote, and now the hole is back with smoke coming up from it again. And the hole says in George Costanza's voice, I'm back, baby! I'm back, baby! Glenn says, oh no, goes back inside his house. He runs to the front door, opens the front door, and Terry's there. They both scream at each other and scare each other at the same time, have heart attacks, and they're dead. The end. (laughs) Cut to the backyard. Glenn and Terry go back to the hole. Back to the hole again. The hole again. (laughs) Glenn says, we're in big trouble. Terry says, tell me about it. Glenn says, how could it come back all by itself? And Terry says, I think I know what this means. You know what the levitation and all the other weird stuff? Glenn says, yeah. Terry goes, you got demons. <laughs> and he says, come on, we better cover this up first. They walk over to the the pile of rubble from the treehouse and they take like the front door of the treehouse with the frame on it with like the the door to the treehouse and they cover they put that on top of the hole in the ground which is awesome because it it creates an actual like doorway and it's such a good visual absolutely glenn asks terry how do you know all this stuff terry says i gotta show you and they walk back into the house cut to eric showing up at the animal control center with angus in the front door of his car, dead. And staring up at him. Like, he doesn't he even stare- have a blanket, yeah. <laughs> blanket on him. He's just, like, <sighs> staring at him. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. Eric looks down at the dead Angus in front of him and says, Sorry, dude. No vacancies. And they drive off. <laughs> to a dumpster. No, I'm just kidding. To a dumpster. Cut to Terry and Glenn in Terry's bedroom. And Terry is telling Glenn about the band he's listening to earlier. Terry says, They're called Sacrifix. Yeah, it's S-A-C-R-I-F-Y-X. Yeah. Uh, Terry says, my dad brought it from Europe. It's got all this stuff in it. You see these guys? And he's showing him pictures about, he's showing him the album. And he's like, they're like really serious about demonology. It's like they're trying to warn you. See, these guys knew. They wrote their own music. They got their lyrics from this thing called the Dark Book. It's like the Bible for demons. But here's the creepy part. This is their only album. After they made it, they all died in a plane crash, just like Leonard Skinner. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Just like the day the music died. Right. And then look at this. And Terry shows Glenn the demon lord. Glenn goes, come on, demon lord? Terry's like, wait a minute. Look at the lyrics in the album. Tells you how to summon demons, and then there's a certain time when the constellations are aligned. When you can open the gate and let the old gods, those are the demons, come through. Well, I checked, and it's like, now. And Glenn goes, but Terry, this is a record album. And Glenn goes, but you see, these are songs that tell you about the whole ritual for opening the gate. We did it. Terry says, we started this by reading this aloud. And you know what it means? And he shows, like, the the writing pad to Glenn. And Glenn starts reading from the, the, the book, the dark book. Gods of darkness, breeders of chaos... Come forth and take possession of this vile world, and you need blood. And then Terry goes, Remember when you cut yourself? 
Terry continues showing pictures from the album. It's all in here. The whole, the geode. <laughs> Your mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The levitation. And Glenn's like, what's it supposed to prove? Terry goes, proves we're in big trouble. I didn't tell you about the most important part of the ritual, the sacrifice. Glenn goes, well, we didn't kill anybody. Terry says, it doesn't have to be a person. It can be an animal. Dun, dun, dun. Cut to Eric taking Angus back home to Glenn and Alan's house. But no one's home. He holds Angus's dead body. And you cut back to Glenn and Terry at Terry's house on Terry's bed. Uh, real quick, I want to say, I mean, you, you, you know, obviously Terry's the knowledge character. Uh, we all know you need the knowledge character in the horror movie. But let me just call to you the perfect writing of Terry saying, I checked. It's now. It's perfect. You don't need to watch him, like, see what he did to check. You don't need to check his math. You know what I mean? As far as, like, the audience goes, we just accept that he, he did the, the research and he checked. And, like, sometimes, man, like, some movies, I think, get lost in the minutia. It's like all you need the character to say is, I checked. It's happening right now. And I'm like, it, yeah. it's, so, it's so economical. It's like that's why this movie is 85 minutes of damn near perfection. Because right. they just do that. Just say that. I don't need to see you go and research it. Exactly. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. So you cut back to Glenn and Terry talking. And Glenn's like, well, how come we haven't seen any demons? And Glenn goes, I think it's because the sacrifice wasn't complete. If we had put the offering in the hole, it would have blown the gate wide open. I think right now it's like only open a crack. And guess where, guess where Eric is going to bury fucking Angus. Right, right. And and Glenn's like, Glenn says, how can this all be true? And Terry goes, wait, you haven't heard anything yet. And he starts playing the album backwards. He goes, it tells you how to close the gate. And you hear the voice speaking backwards. Cut back to Eric at Glenn and Al's house. And he goes in the backyard with Angus. He sees the hole in the ground and has a really good idea. <laughs> Suddenly cut back to Eric in his car. He's got dirt all over his hands and he's driving off just as Glenn and Terry walk up to the house and they don't even see him as he drives away. <laughs> now, I got to say, when uh, Terry plays the album backwards, we just hear like it's like close the gate and like we don't actually get the information on how to do it from that. Like I was kind of waiting for like a scene at the end of the movie for, for, you know, Glenn to like play the album in reverse or something, but that kind of doesn't really come back into play and is again, just one of the very few and minuscule, like minor problems that I have with the film. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of take issue with the whole, I kind of take issue with the whole Bible thing too at the end. I'm like, that's a little weak, but whatever. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It still gets a pass. It's almost like what it sort of lacks in some of the, 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 I don't know, the structure of the, of the, of the spell, the movie more than makes up for in how the kids react, you know, and, and you can tell that's what's more important to the filmmakers than the actual, you know, nuts and bolts of how this all works. What's more important to them is that this is still a kids movie. It doesn't really matter how it works. It's how the kids like react to what's happening. Right, right. Cut to Glenn and Terry in the backyard now. And Terry's reading the spells over the hole in the ground. 
We consecrate this ground, this world of light. We curse the abominations of darkness. We block the passage of evil. May the old devils depart. May they burn in the fires of their own damnation. He's reading from the dark book. May they freeze in the infinite cold and darkness of their own hideous creation. Glenn goes, isn't that kind of insulting? <laughs> I love that line. I <laughs> think it's great. <laughs> Me too. And Terry breaks for a moment and goes, I guess it's supposed to be. I mean, we are trying to get rid of him. Glenn goes, maybe you should do it one more time. Terry goes, all right. Yeah. Okay. Be gone. Thou art hideous, filth eating, unspeakable. Suddenly Al walks up and she's like, what are you doing? What's under the door? Hey, did you guys dig that hole again? Terry says, we accidentally summoned demons who used to rule the universe to come and take over the world. And Glenn goes, yeah, we found out about it in one of Terry's albums. And Terry said, well, they're gone now. And Al says, so what's under the door? They lift up the piece of the treehouse wall that is actually the door with a little with a little latch. And when they open that up, the hole is completely gone with the fake dirt underneath that's dying. <laughs> and he goes, see, they're gone. It worked. And Al goes, you guys are weird. And Glenn goes, thought you were going to the beach today. And Al says, I was, but I spent all my money. She's got a bag with her. And Glenn says, on what? Al gives Glenn the bag, opens it up, and then inside is a rocket. Oh, and Glenn dude. goes, whoa, I love this scene. Dude, it's really this, sweet. This melted my cold, dead heart. I yeah. I love that she's not a dick to him the entire movie. I love that they kind of come back like mid midway through the movie. They kind of come back together. Yeah, and this is this is literally the midway part. Yeah. She goes, are you going to stand there or do you want to launch it? They get all excited. As they walk away from the hole in the ground, they cover the, the door back on the treehouse wall or whatever, and the door is rattling and moving. Yeah, you can see the little latch kind of moving a little bit. I love that. I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And before gl- you get into this scene right here, I got to yeah. ask, Zach, were you ever a bottle rocket? Not bottle rocket, like a, a model rocket kid? I wasn't. It was. I felt like it was an expensive hobby. I just didn't see the appeal. You just set it up and then it fires up into the air. Like I just, I never got the sort of appeal of that whole hobby. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, like, just not into it at all. No. Just, you know, like, okay, <laughs> sure. What's next? If yeah. it was a GI Joe vehicle, that'd be rad. But that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. But not Glenn. Glenn loves it. Glenn loves it, and he's with his sister, and Terry's reading the dark book. Listen to this, he says. Beware, conjurer. Once set free into our world, the power of the old gods is unimaginable, as they seek two human sacrifices to establish their hell on earth. The ruination of mankind lurks just beyond the gate. The demons can only be destroyed and the gate closed once again by a true spirit of gentle passions wielding energy derived from pure love and light. Al and Glenn kind of ignore Terry and they launch off their rocket. And after they do, they're so excited about it. After they do, there's like a kind of a slow fade and you hear Glenn go, that's the best. That's the best. I wrote that down, dude. He's It's so sweet, but also me like not caring at all about rockets. I'm like, you dweeb. But at the same time, it's super sweet. And it fades out, like fades to the next scene with him saying, that's the best. It's so cute. It is. 
Cut to the three of them playing cards in the basement, eating, eating snacks. Suddenly the doorbell rings. Terry looks and then says to Glenn, he goes, demons aren't going to ring the doorbell. <laughs> yeah. That's That was a funny little joke that I kind of didn't get the first time. And then the second time I was like, oh, yeah, because they, they look a little bit, you know, worried about the doorbell ringing. And then they're like, no, 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 no. Demons aren't going to ring the doorbell. It was, <laughs> right. It was kind of subtle, but I liked it. Right. No, it, it's it's funny. And then Glenn goes worse. The Lee sisters. Linda and Lori come downstairs with Al and they're like jabbering as they're coming down the stairs about clothes and jeans and whatever. And, and boys and just and boys. Teen, teen girl stuff. Yeah. And Glenn, you know, he's even though he's 14 or whatever, he still looks like he's eight. He's like, hey, I thought you were going to the beach tonight. Al says we're having a slumber. Par- Al says we're having a slumber party. I liked your first version, slumby party. <laughs> We're having a slumby party. And Lori goes, yeah, and you're not invited. So don't get all, whoa, don't get all our word on us. <laughs> Lori's like, we got to streak your hair to Al, right? Cut to Glenn and Terry uh, in the closet of the main floor of the house, like right by the front door. And Glenn's pulling this big box from the the top shelf off while terry is holding a giant shotgun his fucking dad's shotgun or glenn's dad's shotgun yeah and glenn's like don't touch it, it and glenn's and terry goes i'm just looking at it jesus talk and about it's, i mean this uh, yeah. is this is why kids got shot in the 80s by their parents guns you know yeah because exactly and then later too like in just like in two seconds he's gonna place it against the wall and it's gonna slide down like like you could tell like that's not what was supposed to happen but it's right. so so fucking accurate and you're like god damn it like this is why you know you you put guns in a gun closet i remember seeing an episode of Mori povich where a guy had blown his half his face off accidentally but he was still alive yeah and so they showed him and he was like missing half of his head i hate that shit and man. he's like i'm just thrilled to be alive and i'm like are you dude are, are you, you? <laughs> would you rather be dead <laughs> would you rather i think he'd i think he would choose the would you rather uh no offense to that guy but offense to that guy <laughs> glenn slips and falls from the stepladder that he's on trying to get the box and that's when he falls and the shotgun goes to the side and inside the basket is the, th- the thunderbolt rocket it's like a laundry basket they put it in or something yeah and glenn says she didn't throw it out al comes into the frame where they are and she goes are you guys in bed yet and they shove everything back in the basket in the inside the closet, deeper into the closet. Al says, what are you doing? Lori's with them with Linda. <laughs> and she goes, probably rhymes with bagging, probably bagging <laughs> off. And then Terry goes, what'd you do to your face? Because they have like uh, masks on, right? Like mud masks type of thing. mud masks. Yeah. And Lori's like, none of your beeswax four eyes. And Glenn says, I think it's a definite improvement. And Lori goes, hey, eat your feet, dwarf. And Glenn says, suck my nose till my head caves in. <laughs> I don't, I didn't and, get that one. <laughs> no, it's, but this is what kids do. They're yeah. idiots. And they say, and Lori goes, why don't you grow up? And Glenn says, drop dead. She says, up yours. He says, piss off. <laughs> Al says, why don't you just shut up? Just go to bed. Cut to Glenn playing with a thunderbolt in his bedroom, asking Terry if he ever wanted a brother or sister. And, and Terry says, no. Well, Terry's reading a book. <laughs> Terry's like, 
no, I'm good. I'm good, dude. <laughs> yeah. Immediate cut to Lori and Linda snoring. Camera pans up, and Al's just sitting on her bed looking at her two friends passed out asleep. Yo, with she food looks on her floor. Like, they left food on the floor. Yeah, they're just pigs. They're gross. She's sitting on her bed looking all bummed out. Cut back to Glenn and Terry in Glenn's room. Terry's asleep, and Glenn's reading. He's reading about sacrifices in the dark, the dark book. He's looking at pictures of little people hacking up a guy who's getting a like little people cutting up a guy and get the guy's getting his leg cut off, getting stabbed with a knife. And Glenn comments, Indians. Oh, boy. <laughs> like Indians. Yeah, I, I didn't Tur- get that. I didn't understand that. I didn't get that either. Turns the page and reads dark master, demon of unimaginable size and power. It's a big old demon. He closes the dark book and tries to go back to sleep. Cut to the basement, and there are pictures on the wall, family photos on the wall, and a shadow appears on the family photos on the wall of some sort of creature, and the creature is growling. The shadow moves slowly. Cut back to Terry and Glenn asleep in their bed. Suddenly, the window shade to Glenn's room rolls up, waking Glenn, and the bug zapper is zapping bugs. Glenn tries to wake up Terry, but he's asleep, and he won't wake up. Glenn goes to the window. He hears a moaning sound, looks out the window, and sees the bug zapper back on, zapping bugs. He pulls the shade down again, starts to walk back to his bed slowly. The shade rattles up again, and when it does, there's dozens of moths on the window. Glenn freaks, and the window shatters. The moths come flying towards Glenn. It's better than maggots in an Italian film. Yeah. He bats the moths away as he opens his bedroom door and calls for Al to come out. Al comes out and says, they're back. The moths are back. Al says, what is it? Glenn says, they broke the window. They're in my room. Al says, what are you you talking about? She opens the door and sees glass all over the floor. Al calls for Terry, but he won't wake up. She pushes the blanket where Terry's sleeping and he's not moving. She goes, very funny. And And there's a... You can see from behind them, Terry walks out of nowhere from the bathroom. Dude, this was so good. This I was like, I was like, what? Because first off, I was like, how the fuck did Terry sleep through all this? And there right. was a moment where she she checks, you know, she pushes on him, and, and he kind of moves, which makes right. what you're about to reveal even freakier. But yeah, Terry comes up behind him, like, hey guys, what's going on? And right when that happened, it's. It's the exact reaction that the filmmakers want you to have. We all go, oh, my God. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we all realize, oh, my God. Right. Terry looks at Al's hair and he goes, what did you do to your hair? Al turns and looks at Terry, confused. She looks back at the blanket where Terry was sleeping. And Al says, real cute to both of them. She pulls the blanket back and it's Angus's dead corpse, which is now smoking. Dude, fucking dark man this movie goes into some dark but it's like tongue is hanging out and everything i was like holy shit glenn screams and then suddenly a demon hand on a nowhere appears underneath glenn's bed trying to grab al glenn and terry grab al to pull her away from the demon hands that are trying to pull her under the bed and it gets her sock it gets one of her it, socks. it gets her sock <laughs> yeah they run out of glenn's room but just as they do that's when it gets her sock Lori and Linda come out of the bedroom asking what's going on. They start freaking out and they follow Glenn, Al and Terry down the stairs to the front door of the house. Glenn leads the way. They open the front door of the house. And who do they see in the pathway of their house? But mom and dad. 
He oh. runs up to his dad and gives his dad a big old hug. Daddy, save me. He stands up and he was like, he knelt down when Glenn came and gave him, gave him a hug. Then he stands up and he looks at Glenn and starts squeezing Glenn's neck and screams, You've been bad, <laughs> boy. No, he didn't say boy. And so the dad is played by Scott Denton. And I think he went on to, to basically teach acting and whatnot. And he's like, of course, like, my kids will eventually discover that I'm, you know, I'm in the gate. And they'll, of course, like, look at, watch it and everything. And they saw, and I'll know that they did that because, like, they'll turn in a paper and they're like, so if I don't do well on this paper, will you strangle me and tell me I've been bad? So he's like, ah, all right, you watch the gate. Okay. That's hilarious. I love that. Glenn struggles to get free, and as he does, he grabs his dad's face, and he caves his dad's face Fuck. in, and slime <laughs> pours all out onto Glenn's hands. While the mom looks on, the dad's head falls off his body and onto the ground and then shatters and falls to, like, gory pieces. Yeah. Glenn screams, turns, and runs back into the house, As he and, and as he runs back into the house, he looks at his hands when they close the door, and they're now completely clean. They look out the window, and there's nothing out there. Yeah. Suddenly, all the doors to the second floor of the house slam shut. And Glenn asks, what are we going to do? Terry says, back door. Lori and Linda scream, what are we going to do? Oh, what are we going to do? They all run into the kitchen. Al's lighting candles. She tells them to shut up. Terry looks outside the back window to the backyard and says, I don't see anything. Lori and Linda have candles. The rest of them have flashlights and they open the back door and Al says, I'll go out. I'll go. Basically, she says, I'll go out and check. And she walks outside. Suddenly, Glenn is whispering for her to come back in. The camera is kind of like uh, like at her face and it pans down to the ground where you see two demons right by her feet, like looking up at her. And this is when you get to see the minions for the first time. The iconic minions at this point. These creatures are iconic. Like every, if you, even though I've never seen this movie, I know when I see pictures of these minions that it's from the gate. So I'd say at this point, they are iconic. They're so creepy, too. It's so creepy. This scene is so creepy. So she doesn't see them. Yeah. Because they're like then, only a, like a foot tall. They're only a foot tall. And at first, you only see two of them. But then the camera, you see it from a different angle. And there's suddenly there's demons everywhere. And then. There's demons at the window. Lori and Linda see one demon looking in at them at the window. They scream. Now there's like at least a dozen or more demons at the f at the feet of Al chasing after her as she runs back into the house. She closes the door and one of the demon's arms gets caught in the door, kind of like from Phantasm, the first Phantasm. The arm falls to the ground and it splits into like a little a million little pieces of like little maggots. It is little like pieces of clay that crawl under the floor, but it looks like maggots yeah. that go under the door and out into the backyard. <laughs> they all look on at horror. Lori faints and falls to the ground. <laughs> yeah. They check what, on what her. One of the Lee sisters passes out. That was great. <laughs> she comes to her senses quickly and she's like, what the hell's going on? And Terry says, somebody knock her out again. <laughs> Dude. So a couple things. First off, like, this is all happening at, like, the 45-minute mark. So, like, we're exactly, almost exactly at the halfway point of the movie. Um, this movie is, like, paint-by-numbers when it comes to, like, when all the key points, you know, actually happen. Um, but this right here, 
this shot of when Al is running back into the house with two of the creatures or two or three of them kind of run up the stairs after her. That's a composite shot. It is fantastic. Like we Beautiful. said earlier, I don't, I can't even see like where the seams are and everything. Um, and yeah, dude, it's, it's like, this is so, this is great, man. This is so fucking good. It's so much fun at this point. Like from now to the end, it's like nonstop. Yeah. We are like, gonna go from one beat to another and they're very they're very rapid paced yeah it's in, it only gets worse yeah and you mentioned that there may be about 12 um of the little minions down there i'll i will correct you and say there were exactly 15 because that's how many suits that they had made and later when you see a lot of them you just know that they're doubling up on the plates of like how many they shoot but they only had Amazing. 15 uh full proper suits uh to work with amazing that's wild that's crazy i love it hey everybody Corey here i just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages i'm john and i'm the host of action action every week i'm joined by james hey and dustin hello and each week we review debate and rank a different action movie we're creating the ultimate list of action movies from awful to awesome so if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies and argue about where they belong on our list and decide you hate us because we made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> and now, back to the show. Al says, I'm going to call the police. Suddenly the phone rings. She answers it. She says, hello. And then you hear a man on the other line go, you've been bad. The phone sets on fire. And the entire thing melts. It, like, caves in on itself. It's a great effect, dude. I love it. And then suddenly Terry says, we have to close the gate. We have to go to the hole and do it right. Al says, you, you guys mean you were serious about that demon stuff? And Glenn goes, what does it look like? And Linda's like, what the hell are you talking about? And Glenn goes, the spells. They're in the basement. And Terry says, who's going to go get them? Cut to the whole group. Yeah. This is smart. Yeah, dude. I have that Finally. as my I have that as my note. Terry's like, but who's gonna go get him? And then we're all waiting for one person to go down. No, they all go. Because that's what you're fucking supposed to do, man. You stick together. Yeah. Stick together. This movie, the kids don't ever make stupid choices. Right. As they're walking down the stairs, Al says to Terry and Glenn, Are you sure we can get rid of them? Terry goes, Yeah, I got all the spells and curses to banish the demons. Laurie goes, demons? What kind? And Glenn goes, don't ask. And Al says, how do you know what to do? And Terry says, just trust me. I know what I'm doing, right? Suddenly, as they're walking down the stairs of the basement, the same pictures that they showed earlier, the same family photos, Glenn shines his light on one of those family photos, and it's now Glenn sitting looking all happy, but his mom, dad, and sister are, bl- are brutally slaughtered and dead behind him. Dude, this is low-key. It's creepy. Like, one of my favorite moments in the entire movie. Because I almost didn't, like, see it the first time. And then I was like, oh, 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 that's fucking cool. Like, holy shit. Like, that's the freaky shit that I like, man. That's really awesome. Yeah, it's so cool. And and, and so Glenn calls for Al. And she says, what is it? And he goes, "Eh, forget it. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, eh, forget it. And I'm like... 
That's pretty important. But it's he's you know they're they're creating an illusion, hallucinating whatever. Yeah, he doesn't know if that's real. He, eh. and, and out of all the problems that they have, that is the least of their worries. Exactly. As they walk down the stairs into the basement, they see and find the album. Linda asks if they hate music, and Terry goes to open the <laughs> album, and it burns up. Yeah. Then one of the girls says, "What are we gonna do?" And one of the girls says, "How about the Bible?" The Bible has got prayers in it. That's what they always use. And I like how Terry goes, they're older than the Bible. I was like, that's yeah. a cool line. Yeah, Terry Yeah, that Terry says that. And, and then she goes, well, do you have anything better? Al grabs a Bible that just happens to be nearby in their basement. And she goes, how do we know what to read? And Lori grabs it and says, we'll find something. Linda says, yeah, we went to Sunday school, which figures the most annoying people in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Glenn says we should call mom and dad before this and he goes I wish Mrs. Vandergriff was here Al says it's a little too late for that Mrs. Vandergriff would have been dead sorry that's just that's just gonna that that would have happened yeah that would have happened yeah she dodged a bullet here <laughs> she did she's at home drinking and watching family feud Linda and Lori find a passage from the Bible and give it to Terry they go back upstairs with a weird with a weird like flip cut, it's another kind of trick cut. Edit. Yeah, that was another weird transition. Yeah, I like it though. I like it. They start walking out to the backyard. Glenn says the gate's open. I know it is. Terry says no, it isn't. Glenn says, "How do you know, Terry?" Terry says, "Cause we all be dead meat by now. We'd be the sacrifices." Glenn kind of questions the sacrifice comment that Terry said. Terry says, "I told you the demons need two human sacrifices to stay and make their hell on earth." Suddenly, Lori and Linda stop as everyone's walking, and they say, we don't all have to go. Maybe we better stay inside. Terry scoffs and says, my heroes. Linda and Lori run back inside the house as Al, Glenn, and Terry walk towards the gate. At this point, now the gate is glowing purple. Awesome. Terry, Love that. It's so cool. Terry opens the Bible and starts reading. Deliver me from my enemies, Father in heaven. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity. And save me from the devils of blood. As he recites, the treehouse wall with the door on it starts slowly breaking away and pieces are falling into the gate. But he continues as smoke's billowing out. Away from my soul and return in evening. They howl like the dog. Thou shall bury the evils and they will walk the earth no more. Because of my strength, I will wait for thee. For God is my high tower. Suddenly the smoke that's going out is being sucked like back into the hole. Everything's reversing. And Glenn says, I can still hear them. Terry like very calmly goes, there's one more part here and then they should be gone. Glenn says, don't get so close, because Terry's like standing right by the edge of the hole. And Terry goes, it's okay. It's working. (laughs) Suddenly, Terry falls into the hole and slides down to the bottom of it. Screams, obviously. He looks around and he sees a little demon approaches. He sees a little demon approaching him. He tries to say hi to the demon, and another one comes and bites his leg. <laughs> the, the other one comes with a uh, like on a purpose, like on a mission. He's like, ah, da, 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 da. so cool. This this scene is so terrifying and cool at the same time, dude. I, I mean, all right. 
first time watching this, I, I didn't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if Terry's going to survive this. I'm high as fuck the first time I'm watching this. <laughs> I'm terrified. Right now I'm getting – I'm kind of getting shades of – um, that amazing stories episode where the guy uh, kept getting gold for things that he dropped down into the hole. Oh, and yeah. then eventually he went down and when he came back up, his whole suit was there, but it was all full of like gold coins or something. But I was, I was scared, man. I didn't, I don't know if Terry's going to survive this the first time I watched this dude. Oh, he might not. So his pants smacks- might not. Right. He smacks that demon away, but then there's a demon behind him that bites him in the neck. He throws that demon off of him. Meanwhile, Glenn and Al are trying to get Terry out of the hole. Terry starts to climb up the hole as several more demons approach him. Probably 15. Terry (laughs) yells up to yells for help, but the demons are pulling on his leg. Glenn finds a rope swing from the treehouse and goes to throw it down into the hole for Terry to grab. Terry kicks one of the demons off him and then steps on the demon, Dude. causing the demon to like squirm in pain. It's really creepy. It's like flailing back and forth. And all the, and the other demons are just like looking at it as it's dying. Yeah, I I thought that was very disturbing. Like it, him stepping on it doesn't kill it. It just like breaks its bones or something. And it's like writhing in pain. You know, I'm just like, holy shit. Like, yeah, this movie has such like micro dark moments like the mom and stuff like that yeah that moment reminded me if you've ever seen a an animal get hit on the side of the road yeah it's still alive yeah you just just... want to put it out of its misery you know oh yeah terry starts climbing up the hole well so real quick i just i don't know exactly where but there's moments here before he, he really climbs out of there where you see him in the frame kicking them off of his foot that like that leg that's kicking them is a giant fake leg that is like you know 25 30 yards away from the actor like and all this is in camera all of it's not fucking it's not a composite shot this is in fucking camera this is how they filmed a lot of lord of the rings like i'm i am so impressed with this movie Yeah, me too, man, especially after you said that. I'm even more impressed with it now. So Terry's continuing to climb and goes to grab the the rope swing as Glenn is starting to read from the Bible. And Terry's yelling at Glenn to stop reading. He's (laughs) like, you're making them mad. (laughs) And then finally he gets out of the hole. And he goes, where's my shoe? Because he lost his shoe in the hole. And that's going to fucking come back later. Which is awesome. I know. I think on my second viewing, when I noticed the shoe thing, I was like, this movie's genius. Like, this is great. Yeah. It's very consistent. And, you know, it's got, again, it's got flaws, but those flaws can fall by the wayside. They don't matter for moments like that. Because they remember the shoe later. Exactly. Terry gets out of the hole, but he lost the passage that they were reading. And Glenn goes, just read anything. <laughs> Terry, just read. <laughs> so Terry's reading in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Shit. Suddenly there's a big explosion <laughs> knocking the three of them back away from the hole. And the hole sets on fire. The scene fades, and then the three of them are near the hole. Glenn stands up first to walk over, and the hole's been sealed. He steps on it to make sure, and he shouts, It's gone! It's gone! 
They all dance around on the hole, excited, and they run back inside the house. I was waiting for one of them to fall through the hole. Me too. They walk in cautiously, looking around, but there's no one to be seen. Linda and Lori are nowhere. They're slowly searching the house. Suddenly, Al hears someone crying and walks towards one of the closets in the kitchen. She smirks, and she opens up the closet door, and it's Linda and Lori holding a candle and knife like crucifixes, and they have garlic wrapped around their necks. Ah, the Lee sisters. They're fun. Glenn says, it worked, and Lori says, I knew it. Then the Lee sisters look at the three of them and say, are you sure? And Glenn says, no, we're all dead. Welcome to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he was going to say, welcome to hell. That was hilarious. And he asks what they're doing in there, and Linda said, we heard noises. Terry and Glenn just laugh and walk off. And as they walk off towards the living room, Glenn looks more concerned. He sees that the front door's open. He walks towards it. Suddenly, three dudes pop out of the closet next to the door. It's Eric and two randos. They're laughing and they're like, what have you guys been doing? Mud wrestling? Linda and Lori say, not funny. And then Al says, what are they doing here? And the boys go, we came to party. Linda and Lori invited the boys over. But Al says, look, that's enough surprises for one night. And she asks them all to leave. And Linda and Lori are like, come on, Al. Like, don't be such a buzzkill. They don't say that, but they that's basically the, the gist. And I'm like, hello. Yeah, we, we've seen some horrible fucking shit. Right. She kicks the Lee sisters and the guys out. And as they're walking out, Eric says, I guess she's just not ready for me yet. <laughs> and both Linda and Lori tell him to shut up at the same time. And so, like, right now, we're literally at the hour mark. We have 25 minutes left in the movie. We're going right in, pretty much right into the third act. Um, you know, we're at sort of at the end of this, the second act. And, like, that's why I think that the, the thesis of the movie is the brother and sister sort of getting back together. Is yeah. because, yeah, the Al kicks, you know, the Lee sisters out and all the boys and everything. And now it's just the core group in that in this last like you know 25 minutes of the film yeah this is it this is the three amigos yeah which is what i think the movie's like ultimately trying to say like you know your your closest friends your family yada 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 agreed yeah totally agree cut to the three of them in glenn's bedroom glenn's looking under his bed see if there's any monsters under there and al says mom and dad are gonna be pissed when they see this (laughs) and glenn says yeah what should we tell them And Terry's like tossing a Frisbee up in the air as they're asking that question. They both look at each other and say, Frisbee, at the same time. Yeah. Did you notice the awesome-ass Daredevil poster on Glenn's wall? I did. Yeah, Yeah, I did. I I mean, I'm always checking out the walls to see what kind of art they have on there. Yeah, me too. (laughs) So good. Unlike unlike in Lost Boys, and you're like, clearly, this is not (laughs) Corey Haim's bedroom. He would not have a poster of Rob Lowe with a crop top. Or maybe he would. Not, no, not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So suddenly Al says, "We it's going to be light soon. We should all we should all get cleaned up and get some sleep." Terry says, "Are you kidding? I'm not going to sleep for a week." And Glenn says, "Yeah, let's go watch some TV." And Al says, "Well, I'm going to go get cleaned up." Cut to Glenn, and he calls for his sister and says, "You're better than Mrs. Vandergrift any day." She smiles and walks out. And Terry says, "You know." wouldn't be so bad having a sister yeah so the, these are all the things that i point to is as the at the beginning of the movie that's the 
the thesis of the film is that like appreciate your older sister, appreciate your family type of thing. Right. And yeah, because it all kind of comes back here. And this is all like an awesome bait and switch. You think right now is the denouement. Like you think this is just the the post climax, you know, come down. But no, it's it's a bait and switch. This is this is a fake. That was a fake climax. Yeah, we're just getting started. <laughs> kind of like what I did your mom the other night. Wow. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> wouldn't be my first or my last after that so cut to terry and glenn watching what looks like hannibal holocaust on the tv i i Uh, thought it was too dude i was like what the fuck it could have been or some sort of nature documentary uh or like some uh, voodoo documentary and they're they've got the geode with them terry wonders if they can still sell it Glenn tosses Terry the geode. It kind of rolls to the wall uh, away from him. And then Glenn says, way to go. And then suddenly, as Terry goes to pick up the geode from the ground, the wall rips open, and it's the workman that he was talking about earlier in the movie, and he falls out. and the, His body falls out of the hole in the wall, dead. Dude. And Glenn says, it's the workman. Terry says, I just made it up. Dude, I was I was not. It's like I I know like I've seen the clips and everything of the Workman, but even I was like startled. Like I kind of forgot about him, you know. Right. Um, it's a kind of a throwaway line, you know, throwaway story. Yeah, yeah, and I like how it's sort of this like urban legend thing that comes to life. Um, the Workman is played by Carl Cranes. Um, the I think the big thing that our listeners will be interested uh, that movie The Slayer 1982's The Slayer uh, he played the Slayer creature demon thing that's I've never seen that movie have you I never have okay okay so that's the end of that conversation but if any of you listeners have and you want us to break it down sign up to patreon.com slash podcasting after dark at the highest tier and you can be a producer on the show. You will, you'll pick the movie. We'll break it down for you, just like we will be with um, Paulette. She's our next Patreon film that we'll be breaking down. We'll be discussing that on our Wrap Up After Dark series uh, very soon. So, um, if you want to listen to Wrap Up After Dark, go to Patreon.com/slash/PodcastingAfterDark. <laughs> My man, Woo. yeah, and Woo. and I think there's an Arrow uh, version of the Slayer. So yeah, right. if anyone wants us to. Break down that movie from 1982, uh, please, by all means. Yeah, we got amazing. <laughs> as as Apone would say, be my guest. <laughs> We've got amazing Patreon subscribers at that tier, like Robert Ortiz and Cam Sully. Uh, so y'all, and like I said, Paulette. So yeah, consider it. It's fun. Yeah, it's a lot it's, of fun. It's a, it's a fun time. They Actually, our the next bo- two movies uh, will be uh, Patreon breakdowns. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, it will be Paulette and then Robert. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Get in on that, guys. They approach the body cautiously. Cautiously? No. Cautiously. Don't, uh, don't approach the body. Don't approach. Walk at all. away. Run away. Call Al. <laughs> Terry walks towards the front of the body. Suddenly, the body comes to life. The workman grabs Terry, rips out of the wall completely, and starts walking towards Terry. Glenn, paralyzed, like backs up into the corner. He's paralyzed from fright, which I totally understand. Oh, yeah. Makes sense. He'd be terrified. The workman picks up Terry. Glenn screams and and he starts pulling Terry into the hole that he came out of. Terry's calling for Glenn and then suddenly the wall is sealed up. 
but he can hear Terry screaming out Glenn's name. Dude, so good, man. And I love the way the workman looks. He He's a zombie, but... Like, he doesn't look like your typical zombie. Like, th- there's something very unique about him. Um, maybe it's the way his face is or something like that. But, like, he's unmistakable. Like, you wouldn't mistake the images of the workman, like, with, like, Night of the Living Dead or something like that. He just, he looks like a very unique-looking zombie, and I love him. I wish he was in the movie more. But he's in the movie as much as the script wants him to be. So it's not like it's anything, you know, production-wise. It's just story-wise, he's in it what he's in it. But I fucking think he's great. Yeah, I agree. It uh, reminds me of Shades of House also. Yes, you know, with... yep. Glenn runs upstairs calling for his sister. He runs to the kitchen and sees the light above the kitchen table pop and sparks are flying out. And can I call it really quick that I love that he tripped when he was running upstairs calling out for his sister? And I and I bet you that wasn't like in the script. Like that was yeah. just a kid thing, you know? Yeah, it's a it's a dwarf thing. It's <laughs> dwarf on dwarf. It's dwarf on dwarf. <laughs> he runs back into the the main part of the house, the front of the house, and r- goes to the staircase. As he runs up the staircase in blood. On the wall are the words or the symbols that were on his pad earlier. So cool. Cut to a quick shot of Al getting dressed in her bedroom, looking at her, looking in her mirror, and you can see the workman's reflection in the mirror. She turns the other way around to look, but there's nothing behind her. The workman slowly fades away. So fucking cool, dude. That's that shot is like one of my favorite shots in the movie. Glenn runs upstairs, bangs on her door. Al goes to the door to open it. Glenn barges in. Suddenly, the workman bashes out of the mirror in front of Glenn. Al picks up a boombox and throws it at the workman. It knocks him back a little bit. And when he falls to the ground, the body erupts into over a dozen of the demons. Fifteen to be precise. Fifteen to be precise, yes. They surround Al and Glenn just looking at them. I like how the demons are like, what do we do? <laughs> what do we do right now? They're you like, know? oh shit, this wasn't expe- we didn't expect to do this. Suddenly, Al opens the door to a room, and they get out quickly. And as they do, they they, clo- they slam the door, and you hear the demons scratching at the door from behind. Al and Glenn are talking to each other. She's like, what is going on? And he's like, it's the workman. It got Terry. He pulled him into the wall. And Al's like, what do you mean? And Glenn says, it's the first human sacrifice. Al's holding the door from the demons trying to pull it open, and they're like ripping holes in the bottom of the door. And then D- Glenn starts to kind of walk away, and he's like, He's in a daze going, it's all my fault. It's all my fault. Al yells to Glenn to go get dad's shotgun. Glenn continues just to walk away and say, it's all my fault. Finally, Glenn runs downstairs to the closet. He zips open the bag to where the probably the shotgun was. And when he does, Terry is inside the bag looking like a demon. And he starts biting Glenn's hand. Dude. <laughs> the first time I watched this, again, high as fuck watching this on my birthday, I screamed like Glenn screamed when Terry's head was right there and he starts biting him. I I literally screamed out loud. Yeah, it's it's shocking. Yeah. It's shocking. Yeah. And he's got like and he's got like rat teeth or something, like the big buck rat teeth or whatever. Yeah, and he looks like possessed, right? And Glenn's yelling for Al, but Al's still holding the door of the demons. She lets go of the door and she runs downstairs to help Glenn. When she gets down there, 
She picks up a Barbie doll that's on the ground. And she starts gouging Terry's eyeball with it. That's dark, man. I was not expecting to see, like, like Terry get his eyeball gouged out. Terry cowers and pulls away into the closet to, like, to slowly fade away. Suddenly, they zoom up to the second floor, and the demons have gotten out of Al's room, and they're looking down over the balcony at Al and Glenn. Al and Glenn close the closet door, because that makes sense, right? You should have just left the house, sure. The door's right there, but whatever. We're not in that situation. We don't know. No. Al goes to pick up the shotgun, but the shells from the shotgun all fall on the ground. Of course. Of course. She finally loads the shotgun, and then she says to Glenn, isn't didn't Terry say there's some way to kill them? And then Glenn says, energy derived from, I can't remember. Suddenly the demons are now at the front door of the closet. And you see their little shadow of their little feet walking by. Suddenly Glenn and Al stand up getting ready to open up the closet door. But then Glenn turns around to look at the back of the closet. And that's when the worker jumps out of nowhere. I screamed again. (laughs) (laughs) Al shoots the worker, but it doesn't do anything. He just bats the shotgun away. And Al screams. She falls to the ground. She goes to kick him, but he picks her up by her ankle upside down. Glenn jumps on top of the worker from behind. This is a big-ass closet, by the way. Glenn jumps on top of the worker from behind. The worker just grabs Glenn with one hand and throws him out of the closet. Glenn calls for Al as the worker just pulls deeper into the closet, and then the wall suddenly seals up shut. And then Glenn says, The second human sacrifice. And it's so good when she shoots... Him, it's like in the face with the shotgun, um, and it like you know fucks up the side of his face and everything, but it doesn't obviously stop the the workman. Um, but I like how they actually put all the buckshot behind his head in the closet. Like like that's awesome attention to detail in my opinion. Totally, yeah, no, I agree, I agree, and it's really funny when he throws Glenn out of the closet. This is a couple times when Glenn gets thrown and you're like or like flies, and it's so funny because he's this little light boy that just. Gets thrown. Oh, don't worry. At the very end, I call out. It's very Darkman-esque, and we'll get there. Um, But I also noted, I was like, let me pause. Literally 15 minutes left in the movie. Again, this movie, like, is paint-by-numbers when it comes to, like, like when... Uh, like when things like when beats should happen at what time they should happen. And we are literally in the, the, the climax with 15 minutes left in the movie. It's like, like exactly 15 minutes left. I was like, wow, this movie is, this movie should be taught in film school as to like how to hit all the exact beats and like when to hit them. You know, we're literally in the climax. Glenn looks like he's about to cry. He kneels down to the ground in the closet and picks up a note from Al to Glenn that says, To my favorite brother, love Al. This is probably attached to the Thunderbolt. It says, P.S. Don't tell mom and dad. And it's a picture of a rainbow with a Thunderbolt rocket. And then there's like a sun as well. And Glenn then realizes he has an aha moment. He goes, love and light. That's it. It's a Thunderbolt. Suddenly, he hears banging from behind him on the floor. Turns around and sees the floorboards of the main floor of the of their house moving suddenly a giant hole is ripped into the entry room floor it's it's bigger than the hole in the backyard yeah like 10 times glenn runs over to the stairs and is slowly making his way up the stairs as the wall next to the staircase is moving and rattling pieces of the staircase are falling away as he struggles to make his way up to the second floor 
as he gets to the top of the stairway, practically the, the entire stairway breaks away and he runs into his bedroom looking for the thunderbolt that he can't find. He finally does find it and he goes to light the little wick that's at the bottom of it to shoot up in the sky. But every time he does, the wind, he has a book of matches and he's light, striking the matches. Every time he strikes a match, the wind blows the matches out. Suddenly he hears a squealing sound and out from the hole in the on the main floor comes 15, <laughs> 15 demons. And then the demons kind of surround the hole in the floor. There's like, looks like there's maybe 40 or 50 of them at this point. Yeah. And they start doing this like little creepy dance. And then from the center of the hole out comes this four armed, four eyed, at least 50 foot tall demon. Awesome. Like he looks fantastic. master demon. Yeah, this is the one you were talking about that was... Um, uh, this is this is all stop motion. Yeah, this is the one that's stop, stop motion. motion. Uh, he looks great. I like how he looks similar to the minions, but different, you know? Yeah, me too. He's he's like a combined, like all the demons combined type thing. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. Wind now is blowing everything around Glenn's rooms. The wind is like sucking, actually sucking Glenn out of the room, out of his bedroom onto the second floor like balcony area. Real quick, I got to call this out. So as there's a camera shot, it's Glenn's POV as he's getting sucked through the door. And, like, that shot, this shot right here, dude, is, like, four separate composites. It's the frame, the the frame of the, the room, and then it's the, the background plate, and then it's the, the minions on top of the banister. They're kind of moving out of the way. And then there's the stop motion creature there after the banister, but before the background plate, it's, it's such a technical shot and it's such a quick shot in the movie. You're like, ah, whatever. But what the fact that like how much effort and work that this one shot took to happen, like it's, it's amazing. This, this movie technically is fucking amazing. It really is. It really is. This scene coming up is is so cool too. Yeah, I love it. So Glenn gets sucked out of his room basically, and he's on he's on the balcony, and the giant demon has risen out of the ground and is looking at Glenn. He's at the level. He's above Glenn's level actually, and he picks up Glenn by his arm. Glenn is like cowering, and the demon picks up Glenn by his arm, and Glenn with his other hand just kind of puts the his other hand out and he just says like please please then the demon drops glenn to the ground well the demon puts his hand on glenn's head and yeah he puts his hand him. on his head yeah yes. which is it's such a weird it's such an interesting thing but i think it's it's a part of the gifting process when he gifts glenn with the eyeball yes so he drops glenn and then the demon starts to retreat back into the hole Glenn looks at his hand that he was holding and he has an eyeball looking directly at him and Glenn screams. Dude, very Evil Dead-esque. Totally, yeah. Like, yeah, possessed. Glenn cries and whimpers and then gets up slowly and then, like, slumps into his bedroom. His room's trashed. Windows are broken. He looks through his window. He looks out his window and sees smoke billowing out of the gate like a steady stream. It almost looks like a tornado just rising into the sky. Glenn looks at the, looks up at the tornado as a funnel of smoke starts enveloping the skyline, eventually probably covering the whole earth, I think. And this is when I was like, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe 
how big the ending is going. Like, I always expect movies like this to be self-contained. Like, none of the, like, meaning none of the neighbors are seeing what's happening. But I think this is one of those movies where everyone saw what happened. Like, or at least, like, nearby. You know what I mean? Like, you I don't think. think, like, I think that people, like, even though it's obviously all going to sort of come, like, get corrected. But I don't think that since the damage doesn't get corrected, I think that can imply that everyone saw what happens here. Like everyone right. in the neighborhood probably saw it. Right. And I love, but it's, I love that it's super quiet and empty. Yeah. It's very, you know, apocalyptic. Right. He starts crying. Feels like probably his, his life is over. He falls to the ground. And then suddenly the baby from his dreams, the little baby doll that was playing a musical tune is on the ground next to him. And then the jar full of moths is next to him. It roll it falls off his desk and rolls over to him as well. He picks up the jar and he throws the jar out of the window and yells, come back here. Take me. Don't you want another sacrifice? Take me instead. And he looks at his hand. He walks over to a trash can in his bedroom, which has all the glass that broke in it. He takes out a shard of glass and he stabs his eyeball in his hand and he falls to his back and he falls down to the ground screaming. Dude, I intense, man, for a kid's movie. Intense, intense. Suddenly, the funnel of smoke slightly changes course. Glenn crawls under his bed and finds the compact launch system that he was going to give to his sister, but he threw they threw away the mattress on his bed that he was hiding under has now been like lifted off by the wind. His entire room is completely destroyed. He slowly makes his way out of the bedroom to see his thunderbolt rocket has now fallen down to the ground near the hole that erupted on the main floor. He hears Al and Terry calling for him for help. He throws the launch system onto the bottom of the floor, like near a couch that's on the ground as well. Yeah. And he slowly makes his way down the broken staircase. Yeah, because the staircase is like he 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 does, he knows he can't like carry the, those things with him as he's walking down because it's all right. fucked up and shit. Right. He slowly makes his way down, and as he does, he has a flashlight in his hand as well. He's shining it into the hole in the ground, and he takes the launch system out of the box and hooks it up to his thunderbolt. He goes to turn it on, but nothing happens. He picks up the the launch system box turns it over and it says battery's not included. <laughs> Great movie, by the way. Great movie. Yeah. <laughs> he takes the batteries out of his flashlight and he puts those into the launch system. Now it's ready to rock. Suddenly he hears a groaning sound and out of the hole comes the giant demon and looks around viciously. It has like tentacles hanging from it as well. It's really, um, uh, Lovecraftian. Yeah. He finally hooks up the rocket to the system points it at the demon and yells out happy birthday Al and launches the rocket directly into the demon. And it's cool. Cause it's like, you see the, it looks like clay, but it's just, it's like piercing the flesh and yeah. it goes inside it. And the and, flesh like closes up around it. And it, thank yeah. you for, for, you know, the line there, because I didn't know what he said. I was, I, you know, if I'm not breaking it down, I don't watch it with subtitles. So yeah. I didn't know what he said there. Happy birthday, Al! <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, the demon, like, at first doesn't really react. Yeah, it's, it like, starts, it's like, fuck your rocket, kid. Like, what was that all about? Then it starts lurching, though, 
and it grabs Glenn by the leg and it's lifting him upside down. The inside of the demon's belly starts to light up like little piercing holes and his whole body fills up with light from the rocket. The demon drops Glenn to the ground. Glenn gets to the front door of the house, looks back at the demon, and the demon explodes, flinging Glenn out of the house. He's like flipping out as he gets shot out the front door of the home. He's like superimposed, dude. Dude, it's Darkman. At the beginning of Dark, when Darkman gets turned oh, into yeah. Darkman, he gets blown out of you know the window or whatever. Like, I haven't seen him moving forever, but all I remember is fucking him like flipping through the air as he goes flying. You know, it it was exactly this. It's so great. It's it's one of the funniest moments in the movie. It's so awesome. <laughs> Because he wouldn't survive that at all. He, there's no way. He's like flung out of the house, flipping around, and he slowly, <laughs> but he slowly gets up. He's holding his arm, so continuity there, with his cut hand, and he looks up to the sky of, above his house, and you see fireworks shooting up into the sky, filling the sky. Some of the fireworks go into the smoke that's filled the sky, and it causes the smoke to dissipate, revealing a blue sky of an early morning. Glenn stands in front of his house, and sees the sunrise. Hopeful music starts playing as Glenn walks towards his house. As he gets towards the house, smoke's coming out of the front entryway. <laughs> his house is trashed. There's branches yeah. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the bench that they can sit on is broken, broken furniture. He walks inside the house. He looks into the giant hole in the main entryway. He, survey- he, looks, he surveys the damage, and then suddenly the closet next to him where the shotgun was, where his sister got pulled in, opens, and out comes Angus, alive and healthy. Glenn hugs Angus. Suddenly, Al and Terry walk out, looking dazed and confused. He calls both of them. They run over to him, and they all hug. Angus makes his way over to them as well, and they're all hugging Angus too. Glenn, now super happy and relieved, (laughs) Terry's smiling, and Al... They all make their way outside to the front door. And this is funny to me because they're sitting on the front door. They're sitting back on the porch like they did earlier in the movie after Terry had his nightmare about his mom Mm -hmm. and Angus died. And Terry's got his duffel bag again ready to go home. (laughs) It's all, all in a night of being a kid, man. Right. And he's missing his one Nike shoe. Yes. Yes. Terry says to Glenn, you think they'll notice? And Glenn says, give me a break. And they put their arms around each other and they all laugh. Glenn says, you're my best buddies. Camera slowly pans out from the house that has smoke billowing out of it. Cut to a quick shot of the backyard and it's Angus at the hole where the gate was. The gate's now filled with dirt and there's a there's a tree starting to grow out of it as well. Yeah, a little sapling. And Terry's missing shoe is there too. Dude. That right there, the missing shoe, the fact that it comes back. Yes, I love that Angus comes back. Yes, I love that, you know, everyone survives except the house, you know. But the fact that the shoe comes back, like, that didn't need to happen, dude. Like, it did, he didn't need to lose it in the first place, and he didn't need to get it back. But the fact that he did solidifies that this movie, even with its faults, is perfect. Well, I'm, and I'm going to add one more thing really quick, too, because besides those amazing things that you already called out, there are these cool smoke trails that 
yeah. are kind of shooting out from the hole where the hole was. Yeah, it's like there's, is, it's like there's scars in the ground almost. Yeah, yeah, and this is as Angus picks up the shoe and starts making his way towards the front of the house. Um, and then you cut to the front of the house with the kids, and the camera pans up to the sky with the blue sky with clouds. Scene fades, and the credits roll, and the movie's over. However, this last scene where the hole is in the ground with the streaks, it reminds me of like Stranger Things probably saw this and took from this as well. And so, again, if you're fans of Stranger Things, which I am. Yeah, me too. Um, this would be a great like reminder of one of the movies that it got its references from. Yeah. Yeah. But this is it. This is the gate. And I freaking love it. Yeah, dude. Me too, man. Um, You know, it, 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 of all the movies that we've covered on the show, this one had a lot of hype. Um, cause I'd never seen it and you had, have been talking about it for almost five years at this point on the show and it didn't let me down dude at all. Even with all the things I've seen online, even with like, you know, I know what the workman looked like. I, I know that. I know that when he falls, I've seen that scene. I've seen him fall and turn into the, the little you know, the minions and stuff. It didn't take away from how effective everything in this movie was. And I think also what helps it is the pacing of this film. Um, 85 minutes is 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 a great time, you know, and and every scene is just perfectly paced. This movie is just boom, 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 boom. Hits all the marks, you know. But at its core, it's a love letter to the like like to your childhood. It's a love letter to brothers and sisters who may not like each other but always love each other because, you know, they're family. And it's a love, right. letter, to, love letter to your friend, too, you know, the, the, that friend that you grew up with who, you know, had some hard times with his mom dying, but, you know, you still gave him a pass. Like, you know what I mean? You were still his friend and, and nothing wavered there. This is an awesome movie. I want, I, I can't wait to show it to my nephew. I, I think he'll like this, although I've, already shown him a Raider R movie with aliens, but I think he'll like this because it's a kid movie. This is a kid horror movie in all the best ways possible. It's not a Rated R movie trying to be a kid's movie. It's not a kid's movie trying to be an adult movie. It is a kid's horror movie, and it holds up for a first viewing at the age of 46 years old. I love The Gate. I don't know if I ever want to see The Gate 2, but I love The 1987's The Gate. Dorf on Dorf. Dorf on Dorf. And this movie will give him nightmares, guaranteed. This is this Great. is a creep. This is scary. Yes. This movie is scary. It is it is one of those movies that it's not only a horror film, it is like it is really nightmare inducing. Certain scenes are ter- truly terrifying. To this day in in 2023, after all the things we've seen that have scared us, there are definite moments in this where I'm like, "Yeah, that would creep me the hell out if I was a kid watching this movie." And I love it. That just proves to me that it's it's an effective storytelling. Uh I I did watch this movie a few years ago with my buddy Terry. And I think we weren't in the right frame of mind. I think we were looking for something just super silly. This is not a silly movie. No. There are moments that you laugh, but this is not this is not one of those cheese ball movies. This is like this is an effective horror film that hits all the right notes. And I'm glad we finally broke it down on the show. Yeah, me too. And and I see that. I could see why you, you guys would be like, oh, let's pop this in. No, it's actually a movie you actually want to pay attention to. And it knows what it is. It knows that it's a kid's horror movie. 
And unfortunately, Zach's got daddy brain. It's actually 2024. <laughs> you said 2023 earlier. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, 2023, 2024. It's all the same. Hey, man. Time is a man-made concept, you know? It's, <laughs> it's a construct, baby. You know what time I do know it is for, though? Is it is it time to plug podcastingafterdark.com, the website, where you can find every single link to our Patreon and our merch store? Pick up a T-shirt, guys and gals. Support your favorite podcast. Yeah, go on there. Go on podcastingafterdark.com. We've got links to all our shows. We've got links to uh, our merch store page, links to all our social media links, uh, links and links and sausage links and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, the, the T-shirts are amazing. Represent the show and show some love for the show. We get like z- pennies when it comes to profit from those yeah. t-shirts it, it's not it's about, about it's not about making money it's about getting the name out there yeah but if you want to represent the show in a really cool way you can do that if you want to support the show in other ways besides that you can uh, leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts. you can go on spotify and leave us a review on there as well um go on whatever tell social your friends media. or just yeah, tell, your, tell friends. your friends subscribe to us on social media uh, we do interact with people all the time, and as as everyone knows, we've we've become friends with like pretty much all our fan, all our listeners and followers. So uh, please do, please support the show in any way you you seem fit. And the same goes for two dollar late fee. Zach's uh, other podcast with Dustin, who we now share a mutual show with, Eighties Kids Unite. Uh, once a month, we're going to be having a crossover show with two dollar late fee, but. The same, everything Zach said about Podcast After Dark, everything applies to $2 Lafey as well. Um, the Zach and Dustin have a website. It's TWO, $2LaFey.com. You can find links to their merch store. You can find links to their Patreon, find links to their social media uh, sites, find links to all the pod catchers and pod apps. And please, if you've left a five-star review for Podcasting After Dark, Please leave a five-star review for $2 Lafey as well. Tell your friends, you know, uh, leave something on, on Spotify or whatever podcatcher you can. But, yeah, everything Zach said about Podcast After Dark, apply that to $2 Lafey as well. And $2 Lafey has a robust Patreon page as well. Tales from the Video Store, all kinds of other fucking great shows. and I've been on uh, uh, Patreon-exclusive episodes and, and whatnot. They have a, a trivia show and whatnot for, for 80s kids and Patreon members. So a very robust Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash $2LaFee. That's T-W-O, $2LaFee. Zach, am I missing anything, buddy? No, you're not. You covered all the bases. Um, I was just going to ask... What do we have teed up to tease for this month on Podcasting After Dark going into March? Can we talk about our new uh, our Tour de Force series? You know what? I feel confident we can officially announce it. Guys and gals, you've heard us talk about it before. Podcasting After Dark has a tier called Autour de Force, and we covered every single John Carpenter movie from Dark Star to The Ward to... Fucking suburban screams, which was spoiler alert, trash. But let's, ha- let's let's end that on a high note. We've covered every one of John Carpenter's movies from the good, the ugly, but ultimately the best. That's right. That's right. And so now, the same tier, Autour de Force. We are now putting to rest the Carpenter Factor, and we are starting 
the Coscarelli factor. That's right. We are tackling Don Coscarelli next on the uh, Tour de Force, starting with what movie, Zach? What's his first movie? Jim, the world's greatest. So it's, you know, if you're familiar with Don Coscarelli, he is not just a horror filmmaker. He's a, uh, he's done everything. He's done dramas. He's done wacky, over-the-top stuff, thrillers as well. So uh, strap yourselves in for a really fun run with Don Coscarelli. He's done a little bit of everything, and we're going to cover all of it. Yeah, so that means that starting you know now in March, um, we're going to be covering all of his films from starting with uh, um, um, Kenny, the world's greatest. No, um, Jim, the, Jim, the world's shit, greatest. Sorry, so I was thinking of Kenny, Kenny and Company. Jim, the world's greatest. Um, and then ending, you know, with his last movie. Um, but we're also going to cover his uh, music videos, I think, as well at some yep, point. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about yeah. in, 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 like, Ronnie James Dio and a whole lot more. Yeah, and, dude, like, you know, you and I, I obviously, I think you're you're more of a fan because you also like the Beastmaster and stuff like that. But, like, like for example, just to kind of give a heads up to what's coming down the road, like, Zach and I saw John Dies at the End together in the theater when it first came out. We're both fans of Phantasm. We're both fans of Bubba Hotep. Um, you know, so I, and I'm excited to like finally watch survival quest. Um, I'm excited to actually dig into Beastmaster. And while I might not have loved that series as a kid, I'm fully expecting to enjoy it now as an adult. And we're going to answer the question that uh, has definitely been on my mind is masters of horror, a good series. Um, well, we, with, with the carpenter ones, we kind of figured we kind of determined that it wasn't, but with the Coscarelli episodes, um, well, well, well I th- he did one or two. Yeah. We'll find out if, uh, if this, if Mick Garris should be, uh, you know, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll determine whether, where Mick Garris should fall in the realm of horror horrordom we we have thoughts on mick garris listen to uh listen to the carpenter factor and you'll hear them so yeah so zach and i are gonna start in march uh tackling don coscarelli's uh, entire filmography so um but but if you join now you get uh two plus years worth of of john carpenter if you if you join now at the five dollar tier you get you know 24 25 26 episodes it's it's insane dude yeah, and as somebody who, you know, clearly we, we do this because we love it, but we put a lot of time and energy and effort into this. And, um, you know, when you guys support us in this way, it really means the world to us. So thank you very much. And I will also tease up uh, March Alert Madness will be starting on $2 late fee feed in March. So across the board from $2 late fee show to 80s Kids Unite to territory marks every episode on two dollar late fees feed will be martial art related it's gonna be hilarious i will say aka karate man karate man episodes uh karate woe man episodes perhaps too we're gonna be covering a lot of fun stuff so yeah i was gonna say it it wasn't planned but Paulette has a Karate Man episode for us in March in Podcast After Dark. Not related at all, but perfect timing. It is Paulette. You hit the nail on the head. You must have psychically known that we were going to do this in March because, yeah, it is perfect timing. We, we don't do cross. We're not going to do a crossover until later on in the year with $2 late fee, but 
uh, this is kind of like a martial art crossover in its own way. Yeah, it is. So it's it's great, guys. Thank you all so much for supporting Podcast After Dark. Thank you all so much for supporting $2 Late Fee. We really appreciate every, and we know a lot of people support both. So seriously, thank you. Like, my God, you, you guys are freaking heroes. Freaking heroes. But the gate, buddy, thank you so much for bringing this one to the table. It did not let me down after all the hype, and I absolutely fucking loved it, and I can't wait to show my nephew. So thank you so much for that. But as always, we'll catch you on the dark side. Because you've been bad. (laughs) Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Two movie fans have decided to unite for the people and the betterment of mankind. One, an action movie buff. The other, a horror movie fanatic. Together, they will try to bridge the gap of both genres into one podcast with their battle cry. Give me back my action and horror movies. Listen along as Charlie and Nate alternate each week talking about action and horror movies they cherish, mostly from the VHS era. Also, including some modern examples that felt like the movies they grew up with by answering the battle cry. Give me back my action and horror movies. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Look them up on Facebook and Instagram.